Kulu's gone cold, I'm wondering when I can watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played the scrubs, and even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change a thing. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. Hulu's gone cold, I'm wondering when. I can watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played the scrubs, and even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change a thing. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. Dear Stu, I DM'd you, but you still ain't calling. I left my Insta, my Finsta, and letterbox at the bottom. I wrote you back in August. You must not have got it. It probably got stuck in your message requests or something. Sometimes I make fucked up typos when I jot them. But fuck it, man. Any evil schemes now? How's your doggo? My girlfriend's pissed at me, I'm about to be a father, but instead of going to Lamaze, I'm watching reruns. I read about your father too, I'm sorry. I once had a giant chicken beat up some bitch who challenged him. I know you hear this shit every day, but I'm your biggest stan. I even got the untold story shit you did with Seth. I got a room full of Funkos and your t-shirts, man. I even like the vaccine PSA you did, that shit was fat. Anyways, hit me back, just a tat, truly yours, I gotta pee. This is no weed. Hulu's gone cold, I'm wondering when. I can watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played the scrubs. And even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change a thing. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. Uh, questions and concerns. I've never heard Stan before, so this was kind of like it was like me doing context clues of like what was happening. <laughs> or um... wasn't actually talking to you because you actually haven't been introduced yet. So, oh, uh, our guest today is Rocky Pajarito. Rocky, what'd you think about that? <laughs> hey, thanks. That was great. I was really impressed. Uh, your flow was quite good, uh, and I was just. I think the bit and the actual impressive thing is that you put more effort into it than you probably should have. <laughs> but still not a full uh, yeah. song parody on that which is yeah. i you you did do something that you have actually never done to my memory on this show which is do both voices i guess you know like you did the sample and the no uh, i've never fucking rap. rapped for the song parody before oh okay that's that's that is true this is true why are you mad uh <laughs> I'm mad for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and the number one, the number one thing I is kind of Mason not knowing what the fuck I'm doing. And that's fine, I guess. At the end of the day, yeah. Is that really so? Is that really so new though? There's one thing, one constant. On the- I was gonna say that's just the show. That's not a, a bug. That's a feature. Uh, Rocky, you have not. You never heard Stan before. Somehow, I just know. What, I just knew what it was. Oh, that's hmm. not a. That wasn't a bit. That wasn't You've a bit. No, like I never stand before. I I learned late in life that Devin Sawa plays sit Stan in the um, in the music video. In I the think. music video. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, you probably could have done something with like Stan from American Dad. Uh, well, I said Stan. I'm your biggest Stan. Yeah, because you did say I'm song, your biggest Stan. Yeah, it's I'm your biggest fan. Right. 
But because this iteration of the term Stan uh-huh. derives from the song, and I'm singing about Stewie. I, you didn't, but you could. But you could have done an American Dad reference, though. I could have. I see your note on that. I think it's a pretty good note, all things considered. But I also just want, I think that Noah's sort of, uh, uh, I thought that Noah's kind of riff on that or sort of playing playing around with that was pretty clever. No, so of course, please. I The, the craft was, yeah. was impeccable and we should all be lauding yeah. it. You could have just put an American Dad reference in there because it's the better show. So, I mean. Well, let's do it again. Okay. Yeah, let's do it again. All, all right. right. Hold on. Okay. All right. All right. Fine. This is your fault, by the way, Rocky. Our listeners are going to love this. They love it every time that we do a uh, a repeat a parody song. Hulu's gone cold, I'm wondering when. I can't watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played to American Dad, and even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change a thing. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. Hulu's gone cold, I'm wondering when. I can't watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played to American Dad, and even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change a thing. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. Dear Stu, I DM'd you, but you still ain't calling. I left my Insta, my fenced and letterbox at the bottom. I wrote you back in August, you must not have got it. It probably got stuck in your message requests or something. Sometimes I make fucked up typos when I jot them. But fuck it, man. Any evil schemes now? How's your doggo? My girlfriend's pissed at me, I'm about to be a father. But instead of going to Lamaz, I'm watching American Dad. I read about your father too, I'm sorry. I once had a giant chicken beat up some bitch who didn't want him. I know you hear this every day, but I'm your biggest stan. I even got an untold story shit you did with Seth. I got a room full of Funkos and your t-shirts, man. I even like the vaccine PSA you did, that shit was fat. Anyways, hit me back just to chat, truly yours, I gotta pee. This is no we, who's gone cold, I'm wondering when. I can't watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played to American Dad, and even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change a thing. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. How was that? Any questions or concerns? That was fucking awesome. No. You could you could have thrown in a Cleveland show reference in there, I think, or something. But I mean, you know. Well, we need to start the show, um, so I'll do it once we start the show. Okay. <laughs> do you want me to start are, the show? Are you keeping any of this? <laughs> I'm ready to do the song parody for real now. <laughs> if you guys are ready for me to do the song, parody. I'm losing my mind. Right now. <laughs> Mason, I am... I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it so we can officially start the show. How's that? I'm gonna go to the bathroom now. I gotta, I gotta pee. No, come on. Come I'll be back on. in time. Just start it. Go ahead. I don't care. Jesus. Oh, uh, we're gonna do yeah. it again. We're, we're gonna, gonna do it again. again. Okay. Yeah, I'm, this is already this is already one. Of, uh, let's just do it again. Just do it again. Let's just right. do it. Why Third not? time's the charm, I think, on this one. Looking for a Cleveland show reference. Already nailed. I nailed the American Dad shit. Yeah, yeah. 
Looking for a Cleveland show reference. I'm doing it on the fly, too, so it's going to be tough. Who lose gone cold, I'm wondering when. I can watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played to American Dad, and even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change it to the Cleveland show. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. Hulu's gone cold, I'm wondering when. <laughs> I can't watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played to American Dad, and even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change it to Cleveland Show. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. Dear Stu, I DM'd you, but you still ain't calling. I left my Insta, my Finsta, and my letterbox at the bottom. I wrote you back in August. You must not have got it. It probably got stuck in your message request or something. Sometimes I make fucked up typos when I jot them. But fuck it, man. Any evil schemes now? How's the Cleveland Show? My girlfriend's pissed at me. I'm about to be a father. But instead of going to Lamaze, I'm watching Cleveland Show. I read about your father, too. I'm sorry. I once had Cleveland Show beat up some bitch who challenged him. I know you hear this shit every day, but I love American Dad. I even got the untold story shit you did with Seth. I got a room full of your Funkos and your t-shirts, man. I even like American Dad and Cleveland Show, too. Anyways, hit me back just to chat. Truly yours. I gotta pee. This is no we. Hulu's gone cold. I'm wondering when. I can't watch Brian again. The morning rain fogs up my TV. It auto-played to American Dad. And even if I could find the remote, I wouldn't change it to Cleveland Show. Family Guy is my favorite show. It's freaking sweet. Welcome to It's on the List, uh, the podcast Hello. about underrated albums, <laughs> movies, and oh, a whole lot more. Doing the parody song three times in a row um, to the worst possible degree. Uh, I am the funny talking Stan Smith from American Dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with me, as always, is my fuckable wife, Mason McGuire. <laughs> Mason, how, how you doing tonight? How you doing, Mason? Uh, I'll I'll take that fuckable wife. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I will absolutely take that. Uh, I am all right. I am doing just fine. It is a beautiful fall day in the city of Chicago, folks. I sat in the sun for a little bit this earlier this afternoon. Uh, one thing I do want to say, King of the Hill. I'm wondering why. It's not on Hulu again. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out to fit in some more animation domination shows into this song parody. Just make it even more um, stuffed like a big old piece of ravioli, like a stuffed crust pizza pie. Like Like my burrito was today at Chipotle. Ooh, what'd you get? What's your Chipotle order? What do you throw in that sucker? Well, I had to try the brisket because it's new and my Mm. dad won't shut the fuck up about it. He's like, you got to try the brisket at Chipotle, even though he's not really a Chipotle guy. But he's mm-hmm. big into the fact that they have brisket there. But jorm- mm-hmm. normally, just a chicken burrito. Um, don't do guac in the burrito. Uh, I sometimes mm-hmm. get chips and guac on the side. Um, yeah. But I was feeling insane today, so I got chips and queso instead. 
Uh, do you want to talk about uh, how insane your day was today? You were promising us and the guests to talk about that before we started recording here. Yeah, my day's been really fucked up, so I'm going to introduce the guest. Even though you've already heard him talk, and you know who it is, and this is his fifth time on the show, because literally everything, everything that we did, that's staying in the show. Yeah. I'm upset. I also technically introduced him. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've heard him before. the show. Yeah, it's fine. Well, I got a written intro for him. How's that? Yeah. Can I do the written intro for you, guest? Yeah, please. You're not doing well with me right now. <laughs> I, will say, <laughs> I will say that. Uh, our guest today is not doing well with one of the hosts of the show. Doing well with the other. One lies and one always tells the truth. Uh, no, he's a writer, director, and comedian who co-created the Twitch interactive live stream show Everything Now, which you can watch twice a week. They're back up to twice a week, you guys. Mondays and Let's Thursdays go. at 8 p.m. Pacific. Please welcome back. I believe making his fifth ever appearance. Is that right? Observer fifth Report, appearance. Buffalo 66. Twice. I Heart Huckabees. Orange County. Kids show. Yeah. Yes. So this is five. Yeah. Guess so. Making his fifth. And did, he count, <laughs> did he count the anniversary Colin show oh, as yeah. well? Oh, yeah. This is my, this oh, is my yeah. sixth appearance. Sixth. Yeah. Please welcome, for the sixth time, your favorite guy, Rocky Pajarito. Rocky! Hello. Thank you so much. Everybody get up. It's time to slam now. We got Rocky Pajarito. Welcome to the Space Jam. All right. Hell yeah. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for having me again. This is my favorite podcast. (laughs) Noah, how do you feel about that as the host of my favorite podcast? Uh, truly defeated. <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly feel like ending it all right now in a lot of, in a lot of respects. Yeah. Uh, mostly, what's that? I feel incredibly loopy right now. I think the, the opening of this episode really did a number on me. I did. Yeah, I, it's about to infect everything that we do throughout the rest good. of the Yeah, Shit, yeah. Cool, let's do it. Um, Shit, yeah. When Shit, I, yeah. Epic bacon. Uh, when I go to Chipotle, I get a lemon and I squeeze it into my chips and I shake it around in the bag for, for just a little extra zest. That's awesome. You can do that? Yeah, you can just ask for a lemon slice. Sometimes they just, hell, in the pre-hell, in the pre-COVID days, Mason, Bro. they used to just have fucking lemons sitting out. Oh, yeah. Just, like, rolling around on the table. Gotcha. <laughs> Just one whole lemon. They never had those at the Chipotle's I was going to. Mm-hmm. I never noticed the lemon slices. I'm sure it was for like the drink situation. Exactly. But, yeah. You know the thing with Chipotle is it's a it's a fast. I don't, it, it's still considered fast food. I suppose. You know, I would say quite quick serve would f- probably be quick. The right that way. makes sense. Is that like the definition of like line food, like a like a Blaze Pizza almost? Would that also yes, be a exactly quick serve? Okay. Sure. What's fast casual? Like a Fast Red casuals, Robin. Gotcha. Yeah. Like an island's like, like maybe? favorite, Red Robin. Well, or mm. Red Robin. Uh, or Red Robin, sure. Okay, or gotcha. an, an Applebee's, a Chili, a Ruby Tuesday. Or a Red Robin, possibly. Or <laughs> Maybe. Anyway. Wood Ranch. So you guys want to know? <laughs> okay. BJ's. Shut up. So just one second. Can I tell you about the really, really fucked up shit that I had to do and why we are starting late to us and nobody gives a shit listening to the show that we started late. It will not affect this show at all. But are you ready to hear what I had to do? Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm moving. <laughs> As we established last week, where Mason made it sound like I had some fucking like rare disease that one child in Brussels has ever had in my entire life and scared the audience. My to boy bits. came down with Augustus Gloop. My boy came down with Augustus Gloop. Oh, no. 
I'm about to take a big old poop. Um, and I, uh, that's fine. I didn't actually get to go to the bathroom before we recorded because my roommate uh, is in the bathroom that we share that's about the size of a walk-in closet for a mouse. So pretty big if you're a mouse. Pretty small if you're yeah. one Noah Marger. Um, but I had to go to U-Haul, as one has a tendency to do these days. Awful place to be, but you do got to go to U-Haul. Yeah, you got to get your boxes. And they're specifically there. The thing they make there that's really helpful, actually, is they make TV boxes, specifically. Yes. So that you can put your flat screen TV in the box. It's a little expensive, but it is like one of the surefire safest ways to know you're going to transport your TV safely during a move. Especially if you're dry, if you're going a distance. So I went to the one closest to me, and I had been in there prior, seen them, and said, I should go get that when I have more room in my car. Because I didn't have enough room in my car to take it home. So I went back, and I walk in, and they don't have the big one. They only had the small one there. So I said to the dude, dude, I was here yesterday. There were like three or four of these things. What happened? He's like, oh, yeah, dude, it was crazy. Some guy in and bought all of them. <laughs> and I was like... That's cool. That's really fucking awesome. And then fucking started building my musket in the store and just started going ham. So I said to him, well, is there, is there can you check to see if there's one nearby that has the big one? Because I need the big one. I don't know if this, I doubt the small one's going to work. And he said, sure. There's actually one at this location that's five minutes from here. And I said, perfect. So I texted you guys. Hey, guys, going to need about 15 extra minutes to get ready because I got to go get this box it's not at the location I thought it would be at. I really am. I really am sorry. I apologize. And you guys said, uh, "Shut the fuck up. Uh, don't talk to me again until the podcast starts." And I said, uh, "That's fair." And so I went to this other location, and I get into the store, and it's just right there. There's like six of them, and I'm like, "Perfect. I have Hell this yeah. box now. This is going to be great." So I pay for the box. I take it out to my car, and wouldn't you fucking know it? But it doesn't fit in my car. It's too big to fit in the damn car. No. And I'm literally thinking to myself, how did I do this before? Because I've bought a box, that same box before, had the same exact car. And I did this like a little like a little over a year ago, like a year and three months ago, and I was officially moving out of LA back to Portland. How did I do this before? And I was like, did I like put it in like diagonal? Did I put it through the trunk? And I, my trunk has shit in it right now. And I'm thinking, I'm really racking my brain. Like, how the fuck did I do this? And I remember how I did it. Because this was the heat of pandemic. This is way before vaccines. I was mm. like venturing out on my own fucking, you know, life to get this box that I needed. But then I realized how I did it before. I called a Lyft XL to drive my box back to my apartment and met the Lyft driver back at the apartment because it couldn't fit in my car. So obviously I have this time constraint of doing this stupid fucking show with you guys. I have to get back in time. And I'm like, fuck it. Call in the Lyft XL, baby. Call in the fucking Lyft XL to put the box in the trunk or in the back seat. And then I'm going to have the guy meet me at the house. I'm going to throw the box through the house window of the front door get in here shit in my office chair so that I can kill two birds with one stone and then get on zoom mm -hmm. with you freaks so he meets me at the U-Haul and I say to him I called him beforehand and I said 
his name was his name was literally Montauk. Like literally like wow. from straight out. No of shit. Eternal Sunshine. His name Crazy. was Montauk. And I said, Montauk, this is Noah. I'm the lift that you're I'm the passenger you're coming to get. However, you're not gonna be taking me. You're gonna be taking an empty box from U Haul that's too big to fit in my car. And he said, Are you sure it's empty? <laughs> and I just said I am positive it is empty. You will just be taking this box and bringing it to my house. And he said, okay, I can do that. Thank you. And I said, thank you. So he shows up. I put it in the back of his Toyota Sienna, uh, and I meet him at my place 15 minutes away from where this other U-Haul was. And I'm just so done with this bullshit, you guys. I'm just so done. We're going to go and calm down. We're going to breathe. Yeah, we're going to... Take a take a take. You're podcasting now. You're in a safe space. Yeah. No, you're sitting in your podcast chair. You're in your <laughs> U-Haul the, boxes the can't room. hurt you anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. U-Haul boxes don't exist. The moving, the moving process can't hurt you anymore. This is there's not never once been. There have been degrees of stressful moves, but there has never been like an easy move that no, even I no, have had. No, you know, never. doesn't exist. Um, no, even like I guess the easiest move I ever had was when I was moving out of LA when I was just packing up like my shit in either carry-on luggage that my dad and I had and putting everything else in like four boxes to be shipped out via like media mail or like USPS mm-hmm. yeah. and half of those boxes never arrived in in, in Jesus LA. Christ. Fuck yeah. So I'm just missing like Basically, all of my journals and shit from college through <laughs> through the through Los Angeles and like a handful of Blu-rays. Like I don't have my Phantom Thread Blu-ray anymore. I don't have my Souvenir Blu-ray anymore. And wouldn't you know it? That one's a hard Blu-ray to track down. That's also like a with- crucial part of the history of our relationship in this podcast. Because my first time going on, I noticed it on the coffee table, and we didn't really know each other, Mason, and we just kind of talked about yeah. the Souvenir while while Noah was in the bathroom. And that's, yeah. I remember that fondly. So I'm sorry. Souvenir coming out in the next couple of weeks here, but uh, it's cool. It's cool. I'll to get back to the point that, uh, Noah, I'm very happy that you got your TV uh, box back, that you can Thanks. just pack that sucker up and you can, you know, get get that sorted out when you're moving here. Um, I also just want to say uh, my Mercedes valuable player for that story is definitely Montauk. And his, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his, no like, kidding. kind of... Yeah, because I being a an Uber XL driver or a Lyft XL driver or whatever the fuck, especially in Los Angeles, there was one time when I was working at my old at um the the former production company I worked at, who's who shall not be uh, mentioned on this podcast, who shall not be invoked on this podcast, where I had to pick up some camera equipment so that they could shoot yep. reshoots in our office instead of ordering a uh, U-Haul or just paying somebody from the rental place to move that shit over there, even though they were all coming to the office the next day, they had little old me order an Uber XL and cart that shit, shove that shit into the back of an Uber XL <laughs> and move it from Hollywood to Beverly Hills. Um, so I can imagine that Uber XL drivers have seen a ton of shit and just, I don't want to know what he was expecting to be in that box. You should have put like say. a pencil in there or just like a tiny little thing. Cause he seems His so. box is loaded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Montauk, I got a lot of shit. Okay. Now all that made me think Mace was poor, poor, pitiful Mace. Pitiful me. Poor, poor, poor pitiful Mace. These ad execs won't let me be. Oh, have mercy on me. 
<laughs> I once had to drive a minivan full to the brim of camera gear. And as maybe some of us know, camera gear is stored in the balls. heaviest, least... In the balls. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Mason, yeah. <laughs> Hamburgers are stored in the shitted and farted. <laughs> okay, we got it back. <laughs> These fucking minivans are not big enough to fit all this bo- all these boxes of camera shit because they're packed in the safest boxes in the world that are also the heaviest boxes in the entire world. Yeah. And I remember yeah. I was on the freeway and I had to stop short and one of the smaller Pelican cases flew from the back and almost hit me in the back of the head on the freeway. No uh, and I told them, I said, uh, I almost got knocked unconscious on the freeway because <laughs> of this. And they said, mate, we'll think about getting a bigger car. And I said, man, I sure hope a global pandemic happens. So I don't have to do this. <laughs> sure would be a shame if a global pandemic happened. Fucking, fucking stupid. Uh, Rocky, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, actually, I'm I'm very honored. And I do mean that. I just, I adore this podcast and I adore you too. So thanks for having me thanks. on to talk about thanks, dorky shit that no one else would want to hear me talk about. Yeah, hey, you're welcome. They don't pay us enough to do it, but <laughs> we're we're glad to do yeah. it. Did my Venmo transactions is, go through? Did you guys get those? Every Venmo transaction you've ever sent me has been denied. Okay, so. good. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that works out. All right, perfect. The United States government has blocked my Venmo. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get into it on the podcast, but they have blocked my Venmo. Yeah, they don't like seeing sending me one cent every day for fart wins, whatever that <laughs> means. One cent sent back and forth between the both of us. <laughs> Fart wins <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, that's the that's the, that is. It's, I got that domain. Well, actually, my father got that domain stupid cheap, uh, and that is like the the cost to up, withhold uphold that uh, domain. Fartwins.com. Everybody, check it out. You guys remember stupidvideos.com? Just as a Quick aside before we get into yeah, I remember stupid videos very faintly. It's of the kind of e bombs yeah. world uh, era of internet. Yeah. yeah, before there was a centralized place to get all of our video contents, like on either on YouTube or on thatguywiththeglasses dot com. You had to only find stupid videos on stupid, stupid videos. videos. Yeah, I mean that's that's like yeah. what early internet is like. You just kind of type in the literal thing that you're looking for. Like yeah. when I first start, discovered pornography, I typed in naked women. I believe. <laughs> Hell yeah, bro. Me too. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, think I, I knew what I wanted and I knew how to get it. I think I just typed in straight up like butts. I yeah. think I just straight up typed in butts. I was like, just show oh, me the butts. That's all I want. No, no. Listen, Noah's a man of taste. He knows exactly what he wants. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to see anything else. I just want to see the ass. Just show no me the bush, ass. no tits. Just give me that ass. <laughs> Pretty much, bro. Um, we've been doing this for thirty minutes. Should we actually talk about the album? No. Do you want to do the parody song one more time? <laughs> I'll do it at the end of the show. <laughs> um, Rocky. Mm-hmm. As per usual, when the guest comes on, we give them the option to pick the album and the movie. Of course. And you didn't you didn't get shy. You picked both. Yeah, I got pretty excited. I I, I got high off the power. Um, yeah, you got you fucking sniffed a Sharpie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were like, let's yeah. get up. let's get this shit on the road. You guys give me too much power on this show. That's the issue. Um Yeah, because on everything now you don't have enough power, so you have to come to this show to get power. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> no one man should have all that power. <laughs> no one man should have all that power on everything now, show. Yeah. That's why uh, I'm there to keep everyone in line. Yeah, Noah Chris. keeps us in check, um, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the specifically show would be... Chris. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oof. Specifically Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what album are we talking about today, Rock? What'd you bring us? Uh, God, it's it, it took me one million years to decide the album to pick, but I figured why not go full circle? I decided to bring back Baltimore's boy, the Golden Boy, Dan Deacon. And we're talking about Brahms. And he's got it there. Oh, got, he's got it I've on got vinyl. I've got the, I've that got is the a vinyl. beautiful. That is a beautiful vinyl. Does that a uh? Is, does it open up for art on the inside, or does it just uh? Look at that. It's not too howdy. Much. Yo, that that's is pretty cool. I. That's pretty cool. That's still pretty fucking cool, dude. The, thank you. The other album I was gonna pick. It was a real battle between Bromst and Spider-Man of the Rings, uh, Dan's first major album. This one's got a cool... That one's of, fucking sick. Yeah, look at this. Yeah. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. And it opens up the tall way, too, so it's like... It's like a porno. That's dope as fuck. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The only thing I don't like about... Oh, it is like... It's like butts. It's like searching butts on Google. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like searching butts on Yahoo.com. Um, but yeah, we're talking about Dan Deacon's 2009 album, Bromst, which is Bromst, which is his follow-up to Spider-Man of the Rings this kind of breakout album. Uh, this one is kind of more formally robust, I guess. He still has the kind of kinetic, chaotic energy that he had in his first breakout album, uh, which is much more cartoony and ridiculous. But this is like, I wrote it down in my notes. This is kind of like giving a kid in a candy shop some flash grenades and hand grenades and just kind of letting them really go crazy. And it's just this, like, bright, massive, orchestral, insane yeah. wall of music. It is uh, overwhelming, yeah. uh, which is why I, I kind of like it. That's kind of why I picked it, because I, I, I just thought the chaos of it was was worth talking about and worth celebrating, in my opinion. Yeah. The the one candy shop that also is a uh, a percussion store and like a, a keyboard store yeah. um, sells wind chimes, all this other uh, xylophones, some, some, uh, xylophones, and you know there's uh, there's some singers that come through and they do you know some chanting and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, uh, I think that's a that's a very apt description of this this album and its sort of and its sound though. Um, which uh, I was not well. So, as you mentioned, Rocky, and I'm glad you did. This is a basically a sequel, a sort of a sequel appearance to your yeah. very first time on the show mm-hmm. when you brought on uh, Gliss Riffer yes. or Glass Glass River, as we uh, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. as we riffed. Um, and the main difference that I heard between these, I had not. So I had not heard this album. Uh, Bromst at all before you suggested it. Um, and so it was completely new to me. Didn't quite know what to expect. And my just like initial impression after finishing it was like, um, well, Noah, had you heard anything off this album before? Had you, after we listened to Gliss Riffer gone into, or you read Rocky's great article on Mary Garound magazine about yes. Dan Deacon and, and grief and, and all that, uh, great article. Folks, we'll, I'll link yeah. it in the descriptions here. Thank you, friend. Thank you for mentioning that <clears throat> article. That is tr- tremendous piece of writing. So you You're, guys got to read thank that. You. Thank you very much. You're yeah. kind. Um, so I had not listened to Dan Deacon for one single second after. Noah made uh, a very big point of that. <laughs> and I think it, it, yeah. it, it did uh, 
sent me down a spiral. <laughs> <laughs> it's been two. It's in, been three years of spiraling. In the fucking Mark Marin studio where he records, yeah. we were subleasing that space from him. The cat and, ranch, yeah. Yeah, I sent you down the fucking K hole uh, on that one. Yeah. But yeah, I was not super hot. On Gliss Riffer, uh, I remember that was the fifth ever episode of this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not super hot on Gliss Riffer at the time. That was summer of 2019 mm-hmm. when we recorded it. It came out in sometime in October uh, of that same year. I just graduated from college a couple months prior. That's true. Very fresh to L.A., very fresh to trying to get that freelance life going. Ha ha. So yeah. I had a lot, in, a lot on my plate. And I just, I just remember not being really connecting with whatever this was, uh, whatever Gliss Riffer was mm-hmm. at the time. So when you suggested bringing Dan Deacon on again, initially I was a little bit like, wah, wah. like I was a little bit like, all right, well, gotcha, fine. Like I, you know, we bring on whatever he wants. I'm not going to tell him he's he can't bring on Dan Deacon uh, if that's really what his heart is desired to do. Um, I almost so did I it listening. for the record. I was also bouncing between the microphones, the globe part two. And that was yes. another internal battle. Cause I've also mm-hmm. recently been obsessed with that one, but it all, I ultimately won out on thinking, why not make this a, uh, Ouroboros of it's on the list episodes. A return to sender type thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another one that you had, uh, and we we were, we're not going to talk about it, but you also were thinking about the monitor by Titus Andron. Absolutely. Briefly, right. Yeah. Which, that's yeah. a great album. That is just a great album. That would get a full recommend from me. I think people should listen yeah, to it. Yeah, that, that was kind of my hesitation. I was like, oh, wait, everyone kind of just likes that album because it's actually good. So I figured, why not <laughs> Why not bring something that's a little more, you know, I don't know. A little more idiosyncratic. Yeah, esoteric, has, specific, has a specific audience. Culty, maybe, which is kind of why I like this show and the people you bring on and their selections and stuff. Well, I like the show. I don't like the people we bring on. Okay, that's cool. a conversation for another day. Um, I love the people we bring on. Oh. I don't yeah. like the people we bring on. I love the people we bring on, except for Chris. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and your co-host. And, well, <laughs> you don't really come on the show. You're kind of part of the show. So I you, infect the show. You are the most, you are the bleeding, pussing wound. I'm the, sh- I am the, the venom of this show. I just. <laughs> you're the no venom the and I'm the drop. venom. <laughs> I was just saying, uh, Mason's the Mason's the venom, and I'm the venom. Let there be carnage. Yes, um, yeah, of the show. Of Haven't seen either. Anyway, all to say, I listened, started listening to this. We're recording this on a Monday. This podcast on a Monday. I first put on Bromst on Saturday. Uh, try to give a little bit of space in between when I listen to the album and when we actually record the episode to see if things sit <laughs> differently after the initial reaction or whatever. I got the track list up right here. This kind of album came out in 2009. The first track on this album is called Build Voice. And it's yeah. pretty literal uh, in terms of what that song is. And I'm getting on to, uh, I'll dox myself. I'm getting on to the 110 freeway to go to uh, do furniture shopping. Oh. And I'm on the 110 going to do furniture shopping. And the 110 has the worst on-ramps in the history of the world. Mm, it absolutely. is a stop sign. There is no light. You have to merge onto traffic that's already going 60 miles an hour in a very unsafe way. However, that did not matter in that moment because Build Voice comes on, and I am like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Am I going to have to eat some crow? On, <laughs> it's on the list. Coming up here, am I about to have to bite my words off, like, chew by chew and fucking spit it back out at Rocky and Mason? 
and I'm loving build voice. I'm like, holy shit, this fucking rocks. This is so elegant. This is so like thoughtful. This is so cool. And then as the album continues, Paddling Ghost, Snookered, Of the Mountains, that little three-song run blew my fucking top off. Gave me top. <laughs> gave me top. Yeah. And Dan Deacon gave you Road off. Dome? Damn, dude. <laughs> that Dan Deacon gave me Road Dome via Sonic Waves. Yes. Um, and I'm just loving this album, and I'm like, okay, hold on. What was Gliss Riffer like, back then? Like, what the fuck was that? Like, why was I so cold on that at the time? So I finished listening to this album, and I really enjoy it I, on the whole. There's some songs I'm not as crazy on. I'm not crazy about Surprise Stefani. I think yeah. that's the weakest song on the album. Agreed. Not really mm-hmm. crazy about uh, Red F either. I think that I would do without those two songs personally. We'll talk. But, well, okay, at some point. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Uh, and so <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm flying down the freeway back to my house. I'm finishing the album. I'm in dead stop traffic listening to the second half of this album, basically from Wet Wings mm-hmm. to the end. And the three-song run of Slow With Horns slash Run For Your Life, Balta Horse, and Get Older is playing and finishing as I'm coming back to my house. And I'm like, I have to listen to Gliss Riffer again. I have to know what the fuck was going on. Mm-hmm. So I listen to Gliss Riffer again that night. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is okay. <laughs> this is okay. There's some songs That's, on here I actually really like, yeah. and there's that, some songs in there. That I is an improvement, though. That is, yeah. I I just want to give a little some snaps in the chat for Noah, like like being humble, just being able to be being a being the bigger, being a big man, and being like, gotta give it another shot. Maybe I was wrong on this, and it sounds like you aren't as hot on it as Rocky and I are, uh, but you still. You gave I would, it another shot. Here's you gave the thing. it an honest go. I liked Bromst so much that I had to give Glistra for another shot, and I'm going to retroactively, possibly for the first time ever on this show, I'm going to change my recommendation for Glistra retroactively, and okay. I'm going to give it a, a basic recommend. I'm going to give it there a basic go. recommend. Changing from what if the show had any semblance of form back in the episode five days, I probably would have given it a do not recommend or a light conditional recommend. So that's at least a one step improvement from my feelings about it two years ago. Yeah. And not only did I like Bromst so much that I went back and re-listened to Gliss Riffer, I went and listened to his new release from 2020 that I'm forgetting the name of, Rocky. What is the name of that album? Mystic Familiar. Yeah, I have it somewhere here. <laughs> and Mystic Familiar is better than Bromst and Gliss. Correct. That's correct. <laughs> Mystic Mystic Familiar is fucking incredible. It's, I think it. I think it's a Mason McGuire sniff. Give it a big test because I don't mm. think there's a bad fucking song on that album. I think it's really fucking good. I give that a full recommend. I am uh, crying. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what I think about Bromps in just a little, just a, in a long, little, long story short. I'm sorry to fucking eat the mic on that one. Eat the, eat the take. This is you went full Augustus Gloob's dad, dude. Because yeah, the, the big old, the big old ugly nincompoop. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? How does that feel, Rock? How's that feel? I am shocked, and also it's fucked up because I always did kind of know, like he got the wrong. Im- I gave the wrong impression. I kind of picked the wrong album. Gliss Riffer was an album that I like. I like, I like Gliss Riffer a lot. In fact, I kind of like it because it is 
not really seen it as as his best. I, I but the song like the, the singles on it like where when I was done dying and uh-huh. learning to relax uh, are so wonderful and big like wonderful pop art pieces. And what's the first track on Feel the Lightning? Called? Yeah, Feel the Lightning is so. Those three songs are yeah so like yeah. they almost justify the rest of that album being as whatever and also disconnected, which I think you'll notice in Mystic Familiar feels much more of like a this is a full. Yes. narrative i am like i'm bouncing between the different ideas of music musically that i like to do and deacon i guess i'm being in this scenario and it all just kind of feels much more coherent and full and properly paced and whatnot um gliss river feels like a collection of songs as opposed to a you know a sure. full journey so yeah that's totally fair and also uh sonically speaking that album was made entirely on a laptop there was like barely Little to Glissurfer was yeah, little to no um, uh, acoustic, you know, real instrumentation was going on in that. Wow. Meanwhile, Brahms, well, I guess to go back a little bit, Spider-Man of the Rings. When Dan Deacon is not even like uh, known, really, he's kind of being like seen on MySpace a lot. He went viral for going on this like new uh, this uh, NBC affiliate in the morning and playing a crazy fucking song and a pouring broken... out of cups, right? Yeah, and so yeah, that whole era basically. He has, he has drinking yeah. out of cups coming out and drinking out. Of yeah, cups. people think like, oh my god, it's a guy on acid and stuck in a closet. He's talking to himself, and it's just Dan Deacon riffing while watching TV and being sick. Um, and so this man, this album, Spider-Man of the Rings, is a huge hit. It's very popular. He makes it all on computers, essentially. And he studies um, uh, orchestral composition at uh, SUNY, New York. And right. um, he essentially, with the success of Spider-Man of the Rings, gets what I guess I would consider like a blank check, in a, in a sense. And he then gets to like think like, okay, I can get fucking like actual marimbas and drums and saxophonists and yeah. strings and horns and pl- like I'm gonna like get a bunch of player pianos, which is like the the major introduction that he kind of brings into his on- his like ensemble. He is so good at player pianos in this album in particular. Um, and yeah, so he just kind of like you know it's like a like a weird mad scientist musical wonderkind all of a sudden getting the keys to a music store and then just like setting everything on fire just like doing as much as he can with every single Mm -hmm. thing he could and uh yeah so this album obviously has a much more like grand massive sound which one of my criticisms with bliss riffer is that it feels very dinky it feels very kind of like Totally. It doesn't have enough yeah. of the boom or, or like punch that a lot of his more epic songs can have, and that and, and brings you into like the the emotional swell that his songs have the ability to bring you into. Like I know, yes. like we're gonna talk about like with this album, like like those three str- three song four song stretches where they just like lift you up and carry you for like twenty minutes because he is yes. just like yeah. creating walls of sound that are like clouds. It's 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 wonderful, and I am I'm touched that you gave it a second chance because I had a feeling that there's something there that people can appreciate. Yeah, dude. Uh, and I think you're, and that was sort of my feeling about Glissriffer back in the day. And I, this might be the wrong term to use, but it is the most like resonant term that comes to mind with it, especially considering my first listen. It feels a little inconsequential at the end of the day. I, like it feels a little just like yeah. whatever outside of those three main tracks. Yeah. Glissriffer is like a really good like pop album and kind of pop experiment than it is like a good Dan Deacon album. It doesn't quite, it, it, the, how, I, I don't know if he was aiming to do just like kind of a straight pop record with it. Um, like just in the kind of conception of that album, but because, and I have this in my notes actually for Brahms that like, 
because it has it it's more sort of pop concerned and sort of more I guess the difference between the main difference between Brahms and and Gliss refer that I can that that I have is like you can make out the words that Dan Deacon is singing in, in Gliss River yes, for yes. most of the songs. And in Brahms, it's just part of the mix. It's just like kind of part of this, um, uh, 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 of the sound, you know, it's just yeah, another, totally. the, the, vo- the, the voice and the kind of modulation on it is just another thing that's getting kind of modulated in this sort in this stew, whatever he's making there. And it kind of, because of that kind of has like a ceiling for what it's able to accomplish, you know, not saying that, pop art and pop music can't accomplish great things um but it just having heard Brahms and again still the only second full length Dan Deacon album I've heard like I can just see how fucking big this guy can get you know I can see I can see what he can accomplish and I like Gliss Riffer a lot there's the the three songs that you we mentioned um Feel the Lightning Now His Son Dying and Learning to Relax great songs nothing like them um but they work on their own just like kind of as individual individual songs and not like parts of a whole like the tracks and Brahms can. Totally. They, those are kind of two phases of his career, I guess, which is these two first early albums. He's not really concerned with you understanding the lyrics, even though there's some very gorgeous stuff in there. Um, a song like Snookered is smart because it has a very clear, understandable hook that is like it's like depressing like uh i don't know like refrain or something like that but otherwise this album has awesome vocal presence but you can't understand anything and that's kind of by design even if you go to like see the lyrics of get older someone just chucked in i don't even know if this is actually what he sings and we just can't really understand it but it's the lyrics to steely blues by no steely no (laughs) steely dan's deacon blues Blues? yes exactly And those are the lyrics mm. for the song Get Older, which I was always like, that's really weird. But it's just so, you can't even understand it at all that it's like, doesn't really matter. Um, meanwhile, on Gliss Riffer, he's making much more of an effort and also Mystic Familiar to make his voice heard. And he's also putting focus on lyricism. He also kind of does that on the album before Gliss Riffer. Um, so I'd say like Mystic Familiar combines the two, which is the robustness of the instrumentation and live musicality of Brahms and also the kind of more emotional upfront vocally sound uh, stuff of Gliss Riffer where that album doesn't really have a structure to it or anything like that. Um, so yeah, but Brahms, I agree because I wrote down like, it sucks that you can't really like understand a lot of the words, but he's so good at bringing out that specific level of hope and catharsis that is blossoming out of melancholy through yes. melodics. And yes. like it's not only melodics, yes. like he's doing like he's playing on very major scale stuff. It's very like, you know, if you're learning piano for the first year, you're gonna be playing a lot of these same chord progressions. These are kind of the basic uh Western kind of chord progressions that you'd hear in a lot of pop pop music. But the way that he delivers them and also makes them dance around each other with polyrhythms and also using the panning of the music in left and right ear. Love the panning. Love the panning. Yeah, it's it's really just it's really destabilizing. But yeah, like even though you can't even hear a word he's saying, and he's not even trying to say anything too deeply, you know, emotional, it it comes through in the in the 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 power of the blast of the music. You know, I think it's on the on the point of the lyrics, whatever you want to call the 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 words, the lyrics Mm -hmm. of of Brahms. It is that whole thing of you know 
these are just another sonic quality of, They're an instrument. of the music here. It's an instrument. However, in Balta Horse, mm-hmm. the <laughs> laughed out loud yeah. in the car. Like, one of the only times awesome. I think music that isn't, like, Weird Al or, like, strictly supposed to be, like, comedy-oriented makes me laugh. Yeah. It is... I was like, that is so fucking awesome. It's so silly. Like, it's so these silly. Little, these, like, little mice just going, like, yeah. it's so fucking funny, dude. I love that shit so uh, much. I am partially regretting that I picked this because Spider-Man, <laughs> Spider-Man of the Rings, when it first came out, is everyone's just like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, it is, sure. it is all chip. It's, it's the chipmunk cat voices, and it's, like, the, like, overwhelming, high-pitched glockenspiels and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, he like that. It's it's toned down from Spider-Man of the Rings in here. But you have songs like Woof Woof, which are just like these ridiculous, very mm-hmm. silly concepts for songs that are like kind of daring you to not enjoy it because there's just like you're just hearing cat meows and and dog woofs, like 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 awkwardly galloping over each other and these kind of awkward drum beats and this ridiculous wavy bass line. But it kind of all comes out together in the wash and like builds up to something powerful. So yeah, he, he has a really ridiculous sense of humor in, in his work. And I'm glad that kind of still shows in this album. And he's one of the main wham city guys. Of course, he's going to have a weird ass sense of humor. Fucking a. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, the, I sent you guys the video for Wolf Wolf, which stars like all members of wham city, Ben O'Brien, Dandy, uh, Alan Rensnick and stuff like that. It's a very silly music video. Um, but yeah, wham city rolls, wham city forever. Uh, I'm, gonna try and see them i'm actually seeing dan deacon this weekend uh are you really yeah, hell yeah brother regent i was like I, i've been going back and forth for the past couple months and I, it's it's a the uh, invitation says masks on and vaccinations only so like there's some precaution yeah and i'm still kind of hesitant i'll see what i decide but you know safety first obviously and even dan has admitted that on his instagram post for, for the show but yeah should be fun i'm excited and he does the chipmunk voice live which is so much it's 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 ridiculous you know it's what this album get, uh... sorry mason that I, I was just gonna say it's incredible that he that i i know that they're all very very busy but it is kind of incredible that dan deacon can can wrangle alvin and the chipmunks to perform live I, with him so i, I um, know right it's do uh... they know each other from baltimore or, what, or what's going on yeah you know, the- like, theodore been in the business for forever yeah theodore went to suny purchase and um oh okay yeah um and then simon kind of got strung out in like the 80s and everything exactly. he was hanging out with like todd bridges and the <laughs> cast of different strokes <laughs> a lot <laughs> it's fucked up alvin <laughs> alvin as he's just i need a ride snorting. Snorting coke <laughs> off Mr. Belvedere's ass. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna sit on my balls real quick. <laughs> and then I'm gonna let Simon snort coke off my asshole. Um, that's for the true fans out there. Amen. <laughs> what I just said. Um, you know what? This would be a great. This and Mystic Familiar would be a great like double feature mm-hmm. album with, or even fuck it, triple feature album with. Sure. You do Dear Science by TV on the Radio. Wow, yeah. And Sound of Silver mm. by LCD Sound mm-hmm. System. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you throw in Mystic Familiar or Bromst, not Glycerin. Probably Mystic. Uh. No, you're fine. <laughs> Mystic Familiar, I think, is definitely like the most polished and also sounds as like cleanly electronic as those other two albums yes. do. I think that they would go very well. Mystic Familiar is like a fucking Flaming Lips album. It's, it's so good. It, there's so much going on on that. 
and the yeah. the transition from I gotta pull it up real quick. So Hypnagogic into uh, yep. by a Tree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I think. Yeah, isn't it? I know. I remember listening to. That. I got a. Um, I got that uh, through Mary Garan magazine. I was just like begging them, like, "There's a new Dan Deacon album. Please let me cover it for you. Let me get the album early so I can review <laughs> it and stuff." And the night that I got it, I was really blown away by that transition in particular. But I also the first two songs on the ARP suite are yes maybe the coolest pieces of music i've ever heard in my life i don't really know it's 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 just so hard to not be in love with the drums and the synthesizers and just like just both like just punching each other in the face and there's like a gorgeous synth solo and then a piano solo and then it's like really psychedelically intense we're talking about a different album now from the podcast <laughs> <laughs> The thing about Brahms that I also think is particular, and this is something that Mason points out um, a lot that I think is a really good call, is to me, every song on Brahms feels unified but singular. And that's, I think, really hard to pull off. Definitely. You know, I think it's... You gotta have a very wide, dynamic range as an artist to be able to make every song feel very specific, but also feel like it also exists in the same universe and exists on the same album. And I think Brahms does that really well um, because Balta Horse sounds basically nothing like Red F, which yeah. sounds basically nothing like, uh, you know, Slow With Horns, Run For Your Life. Or Run, what is it? Is it Run For Your yeah. Life? Yeah, yeah, Run For Your yeah, Life. Yeah, Slow With Horns, Run For Your Life. Yo, the... Back, I mean, the first half of a slow with horns run for your life is wonderful. It's powerful. It's slow. It's a dirge, and then it just fades into this cascading player piano thing, where it's like you can. It's like as if there were seven player pianos all playing different octaves, and they're all just playing the same massive cathartic note at you, and they're it's just like they're all mm -hmm. playing like machine gun fire. It is one of the most gorgeous, cathartic things I've ever heard, and I think it's like maybe the, one of the brightest spots on this album. That that that's, I think that, that I think wonderful. that's uh, run, um, slow with horns. Run for your life is probably my fave track on the album. Probably all things considered, and there's like that or build voice. Build voice no, is uh, so cool. I mean, the saxophone on that album on that song is so cool. But uh, uh, slow with horns, run for your life is also probably the closest to his actual compositional influences of like. Brian Eno, Steve Reich, um, like just these like actual avant-garde composers. Like, sure. And it's, it's less Now like that you mentioned those two names, yeah, now that you mentioned those two, I was just going to say Noah, though that is also my favorite song on this oh, yeah. record. Is that ever uh, happened before? Ah, we cool. have the same favorite track. <laughs> I think it might have. I don't know. Um, uh, Rocky's the true fan, and the, the true fans are better at, at, at cataloging that information than the hosts necessarily are but the the intersection between um steve reich and brian eno is right where that song exists and i'm so happy that you put that together because like uh or or, or mention that because uh, it makes a hundred percent sense in my mind because like the first half the the slow the slow with horns is just like this fucking like feels kind of sounds like a sunrise almost yeah, yeah. you know it's just like this slow just sort of building um towards this like sort of majestic event or this or, or whatever and then all of a sudden there's um those ca like you said ca i think cascading is actually the word that i have in my notes here too it's like those cascading keyboards and it's just the, the in that that higher register too that just creates this like kind of immediate sense of urgency like when I, both times i was listening to this album i was just like kind of laying down just trying to like relax and and just be with it and i was just like 
just just voluntarily just like kind of moving my feet like almost like I was running in place almost uh it had a very like just kind of, this whole album just kind of had a very physical effect on me in that way not necessarily like a psychosomatic or whatever or like uh, uh it was like affecting me emotionally even though it was but like I was just moving in place even though I just really wanted to stay still I couldn't fucking help it it, it was just so good yeah no this I I I think you can close your eyes and listen to this entire album and like the phosphines that you see when you close your eyes will just do enough of the work for you to feel like you're having a psychedelic sensation essentially and yeah it's like it is it is full body like rush with with him and when he gets those really specific high notes and when things are like building up and about to climax like he just somehow knows how to like push that button on your on your pleasure center and make you really feel like chills it makes me feel chills all the time that's why i listen to it all the time because it's like a fucking drug (laughs) the last thing that i want to say about brahms because i do want to make sure we give ample time to talk about the movie as well Mm -hmm. because we probably could keep going on this shit for years um (laughs) but yeah okay sure uh that's fine you can say that um but the last thing i want to say about brahms and dan deacon and then you guys say your final thoughts if you want to and I'll give some fast facts and we'll keep talking about it for 15 minutes but the last thing I'm gonna say is he just cuts through the bullshit on this album there's like no bullshit I think even on the longer songs yeah they're always moving and dodging and going in an interesting direction and he just pierces your heart you have would have to be cold dead in the ground I feel like not to feel something listening to this uh and it just pierces my heart uh i loved listening to this this shit's awesome loved listening to mystic familiar even more honestly i know we're not supposed to be talking about (laughs) (laughs) also are you wearing the gliss riffer shirt right now yeah on accident i I put it on this morning to walk my dog and i just didn't change hell yeah rock and roll um but I'm gonna listen to Spider-Man of the Rings sometime in the very near future, yeah. just to sort of understand. And what's this other one? United States of America, something like that. His America album, which is it's really cool. It is like kind of a more rock-forward type of album. He like tried making using his sound palette to make kind of more progressive alt-rock songs, and then the That's cool. the last four songs are a 20-minute orchestral suite called USA. That's why, and it is. It's it's one of my favorite things in the world. I'm going to send you guys the video for it that Adult Swim made, um, and it is just gorgeous. The, and also, one thing I really implore with that is to check out the lyrics. I think it, they're very sad and romantic and um, devastating. I, I, I've listened to them in such important key parts of my life now that it feels like it's tattooed on my DNA. Like, during, oh, yeah. during mm. my, like, grief and loss, I've returned to that album in particular because it just... And also Brahms, too. Like, they're just albums that really, again, like you said have a key into something very visceral in our core yeah. as humans where it is just kind of this like holy shit you like are rattling my skeleton like you understand like yeah, dude. like what it is to be alive yeah. in good and bad um so that's that's me in in the band the war on drugs uh, hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah you and adam cash gotta talk about that that guy is one of the big that guy might be the biggest war on drugs fan i've ever met in my life fucking perfect so good yeah we want some fast facts about Brahms and Dan Deacon, you bitch ass. Whoa, let's get some Brahms facts. Okay, going to go through these kind of quick because there is a lot, but they're all good. So <laughs> Brahms is the second studio album by American Electronic Music Dan Deacon, released on March 24th, 2009. According to Deacon, Spider-Man of the Rings was very carefree and youthful, sort of partying. Uh, partying for the sake of partying, this record is less about party and more about a celebration. In an interview uh, broadcast on NPR's Talk of the Nation... 
Deacon stated that the word Bromps has no meaning other than to be the title of the album, which is <laughs> fucking weird That's as That's so fuck. fucking pimp. I love that. That's so, so cool. Funny as hell. <laughs> uh, while many of the sounds in Bromps are computer-generated, much of it was recorded using live instruments. The album was produced by Chester. Excuse me how I say this last name. Guazad? Guazda. Guazda. Thank you. And tracked mainly on Baltimore and was mixed on snow at Snow Ghost Studio in Whitefish, Montana. For a few of the tracks on Brahms, Deacons uses a player piano, as Rocky had mentioned. The piano had to be rewired so that each line was tracked individually so the piano could keep up with what Deacon composed, while engineer Brett Allen claims to be claims to be impossibly fast to play on one piano. There is, that's wild as hell. There is a 30-minute documentary that Pitchfork uploaded to YouTube of Dan Deacon producing and finishing this album at that studio and it is like his heart of darkness you are watching a guy who is like he has way too many ideas and he's so nervous on how to do any of them it's really fun to watch it's it's like kind of uncomfortable i mean i'm a i'm just a very big fan of his music but yeah it is him like zoning out staring at laptops and being like i think i'm gonna mix this one myself at one point he cuts his own hair it looks terrible (laughs) that's cool Uh, what a well, he should have called me. I'm an expert at, at that. Uh, but only if you wanted to get it completely shaved. The clean, of course, yeah. And you look good. Mason, you look good. Thanks, brother. You got it. Thank you. Daniel Deacon was born August 28th, 1981. He's an American composer and electronic musician based in Baltimore. Deacon is renowned for his live shows where large-scale audience participation and interaction is often a major element of the performance. Since 2003, he has released five solo albums, including 2015's Gruelis Riffer by Domino (laughs) Records. Deacon was born and raised in West Babylon, New York on Long Island. Shout out Long Island. Mm -hmm. He graduated from Babylon High School. Shout out Babylon High School in 1999. Him and Jeff Rosenstock are both Long Island ska kids. And that, oh, in my head, I'm always like, I really want those two to work together. So they have like a kinship they have to at this point. It's crazy that they've not crossed paths yet. I know. Uh, he graduated from Babylon High School in 1989, the year of the gamer, the year of the cyber athlete, where he was a member <laughs> at the local ska band. Channel number 59 alongside Tim Daniels of The Complete Guide to Everything. He later attended the Conservatory of Music at State University of New York Purchase, where in addition to performing his solo material, he played in many bands, including Tuba for one of my personal favorites, Langhorne Slim. Like Langhorn Slim? And- That's awesome. Yes, dude. The album The Way We Move by Langhorn Slim and The Law. Wow. Probably will come on this show at some point. There you go. Uh, and the guitar in the improvisational grindcore band Rated R and had a small mixed chamber ensemble. The man is a freak. Yeah. Uh, in 2004, he moved to Baltimore and moved into the Copycat Building and alongside friends from SUNY Purchase formed Wham City, an arts and music collective. Deacon is famed for his live shows. When playing solo, he performs on floor level with the audience. His musical device is being set up at a low table surrounded by the crowd. In stark contrast to Deacon's electronic performances, the Bromps Tour was a 14-person ensemble of members of various Baltimore bands, including So Percussion, Future Islands, and Chester Guazda. He was accompanied by various acts, including Nuclear Power Pants. Great name. This tour is notable for its musicians' use of of a vegetable oil power bus which i think he actually talks about on his yeah but still episode yes he does yeah they had a school bus that they converted into running off of vegetable oil from restaurants and towns that they were passing through and they would they would siphon they, they would like drain the oil through a pair of jeans to get it clean i guess <laughs> essentially to, to take out all like the you know grime or whatever like that um and yeah uh look at any video footage of this of dan deacon the dan deacon ensemble on tour with this album 
it's fucking chaos. It's like th- this album is so intricately designed that you're almost begging for disaster if you're gonna put make it like go live. And you have 14 people, two drummers, three synth players, a bass player, <laughs> and Dan's like covering over these electronics, trying to desperately make sure everything's plugged in and working. It's it, it's quite fun. And then also you can see his like you know um, audience participation stuff. It's it's it, he has a, he has a fun whole deal. I have a picture of his setup from the Spider-Man of the Rings uh, days. I'm going to send to you guys because it, it's, it's pretty funny. He has a uh, an iPod mini taped to a banana on it, on the tape. Yo. It's, it's, it's pretty sick. All right. Uh, what the hell? Yeah, what the? Can I say Can I say two more facts while you do that? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Go ahead. Deacon recorded the track, Drinking Out of Cups. In 2006, Liam Lynch created a video to accompany the piece, the compilation has been viewed more than 20 million times on YouTube. As the video spread, rumors of the video was how of how it was made began quickly forming. One popular rumor is is a recording of someone at LSD locked in a closet. Deacon has stated numerous times that that is not true. He collaborated with Wham City Comedy on Live Forever As You Are Now with Alan Resnick, an infomercial parody created for Adult Swim. The web series was created and directed by Ben O'Brien. In 2011, Deacon began to work more outside of the Indian pop music scenes and began working on contemporary classicals in the contemporary classical scene and film scoring. On January 20th, 2011, Deacon and percussion quartet So Percussion performed a new piece composed by Deacon titled Ghostbuster Cook, Origin of the Riddler, at the Merkin Concert Hall in New York as part of the Ecstatic Music Festival. New York Magazine listed the performance as one of the top 10 classical musical performances of 2011. Ghostbuster Cook was also performed at the Barbican for the Steve Reich Reverberations Festival on May 7, 2011. On February 3rd through 4th, the Kitchener Waterloo Symphony, conducted by Edwin Outwater, performed Deacon's first orchestral work, Fiddlenst Rim and Song of the Winter Solstice for Orchestra Electronics. He has also worked with Francis Ford Coppola, scoring the film Twixt, yep. which is nuts. Yeah, he The be- man is a freak. He's a freako, and he attracts freaks, which is awesome. Francis Ford Coppola reached out to him to work on that movie, and then he stayed in a guest house with Val Kilmer, and they became friends. That is so, <laughs> so, that's so, so tight. I also, I found this performance, this Ghostbuster Cook origin of the Riddler on Vimeo. It's like 43 minutes long. Have I never seen this before? I'm so excited. I'm going to send this to you guys as well. Let's um, not do the rest of the show and just sit in silence. We're just going to silently watch plays. this and be like, that was cool. That was cool. That was cool. Um, um, yeah. Mason, who, what, or which mm-hmm. is your Mercedes Bible player? Do you recommend this damn thing? Uh, I, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, as I said earlier, my favorite song on this is Slow With Horns slash Run For Your Life. I love the imagery that that song concocted in my little old brain both times that I was listening to this album and just the feeling of um, both sort of promise and excitement that it uh, allowed in me and made me feel really fucking good. So I'm going to give my Mercedes Valuable player to that. Full recommend to this. Run, don't walk to this album wherever you listen to it. It Run is for your incredible. life to this album. Run, yeah. 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 Yep. 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 Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, I am going to give my Mercedes Value Player, I was originally going to give it to the same Mercedes Value Player as Mason, but to truly capture what I think is the Mercedes Value Player for me on this album, I got to go a little abstract here, and I got to give it to the way he structures his songs, whether you want to call that the arrangement, mm. whether you want to call that just the layering and the mixing of everything. But the structure in which these songs become 
have over the course of the five, six, seven minutes, sometimes less, uh, pretty breathtaking. So I have to give it to the structure of these songs and the structure of these compositions. And this is going to be a full recommend for me as well. Rocky, who, what, or which is your Mercedes Valuable Player? Do you recommend this album? I've got a tie. Um, It is the... I've got a tie. The the voters, you know, that's what happens. It's a tie. i got to name both runner-ups. Okay. We gotta, we gotta throw this, we gotta throw this one out to Arizona and Georgia. Exactly. Folks. Please help us with this count. Um, it's between pretty much all of Snookered, but also the point at which Snookered blows up, and you kind of hear his high pitched falsetto on auto tune, like reaching as high as the key will allow, um, and you hear these like glockenspiels like creating the walls around the tune. And then it goes into this weird vocal sample breakdown, which I think I read somewhere is a sample of the Beach Boys. Um, and it's just the, Hell yeah. the Beach Boys vocal Let's samples go, Dan. just kind of like, just just like awkwardly, yeah, like pushing each other up and down and up and down, creating waves basically. And then the song kind of like explodes once again. I think the, the structure of that song is perfect. And then you said it wasn't one of your favorite songs. I'll give it some love. Red F, the... There are parts yeah. of that song that are very demented because it's just, he's just trying to be as hard, like just make as much noise as possible and like as fast as possible. But the last chorus of that song, I guess, and the drums are this kind of like really fast punk break beat. And you just kind of hear the synths just like slamming into the ground. And the lyrics are absolute nonsense about bombs exploding in banks and trees burning and like very apocalyptic uh, you know, imagery throughout this whole album. Um, mm-hmm. it, that that part of, uh, of that song, I remember when I first heard it, um, I was just like, this is one of my favorite things. This is the craziest, like most ag- ag- aggressive thing ever. And I just love the kind of like overstimulus of it. Um, and you should report this album, um, throw it away. Don't let anyone listen to this. <laughs> okay, all Don't right. Don't even consider okay. talking about this album. Um, yeah, no. 5,000% recommend. I recommend all those albums. I love them very much. <laughs> Even Gliss Ripper. <laughs> Even a little Gliss Ripper, which actually is... Never mind. I thought I had it on my wall somewhere. But yeah, I I, I love all Dan Deacon's music. It's a great album cover. Great That's album cover. We all agree on. Totally, yeah. All of his album covers are really good. The Mystic Familiar one is amazing in particular. Yes. But uh, yes. yeah, his music is great. His score work is very good. He's a very amazing film composer now. And he's scoring a movie... That stars Adam Sandler, so that's awesome. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Oh wow. my god, that's gonna make me. That's gonna make me give fucking birth, bro. It's that's too gonna much. Make me throw it's off. Too much, bro. Um, shall we move on? No, I got. I have more notes. <laughs> Rocky's notebook. Flip, slam, crack, slum, flush, uh, flush, fart. <laughs> speaking fart. of speaking of farts. Okay. Okay. Speaking of farts. Speaking of farts. What do we got next, Rock? We got... Hey! So this is also kind of a sequel to an episode I was not involved in, honestly. True. Um, But, yeah, I decided... Yeah, don't call this one a comeback. Don't call this one a comeback. You'll go to jail. Um, I had a couple of movie picks uh, in my sleeve. I wanted to do Popeye, Cabin Boy, Taking Off, Speed Racer... But I had a feeling that this movie will, for a long, for a while, not have enough of the lovers that it deserves. So I thought, why not give it some love and talk about it? And I picked 2009's Gentleman Broncos by Jared and Jerusha Hess, the team behind 
Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre. Uh, a gonzo comedy about sci-fi and about people living in the middle of the country of America and people who are sad and also a satire on corporate plagiarism. Rocky, what's your history with this damn movie? Damn, man. What dang old history on this dang old movie? Uh <laughs> Dang, and then Mason's Mason's boom Mason's bill, <laughs> and he's just like, I thought this movie came out I'm in two thousand seven. <laughs> I thought this you're movie motherfucking came out in Bill. I'm Dale Gribble. Let's not get it twisted wow. here. You're you are Bill Noah. I'm Dale Gribble. <laughs> when you and your friends are playing King of the Hill and arguing over who gets to be <laughs> Dale Gribble, <laughs> I'm not fucking saying I want to be Dale Gribble. Are you kidding me? If anything, I'd rather be Boomhauer than fucking Dale Gribble. Boomhauer is clearly the best of that of that core quartet, though. Everyone it's, wants to be Boomhauer. It's true. This is true. We all know. I yeah. mean, if I'm it's like being... everyone wanted to be Aragorn. <laughs> well, not everyone wants to be Aragorn. Some people want to be uh, Gimli. That's fine. Um, I would want to be <laughs> fucking uh, Bobby Hill if I really had my pick of the litter. You know, if I if we're yeah. expanding the universe, that that's the best kid in the whole world. I want to be the kid who's in school like you talk like this. Like he's like he like has like the long bangs and he's like kind of sarc- he's like the Nelson M- months of of King of the Hill, where he just kind of sarcastically makes fun of anyone that comes in his way. I'm that kid from King of the Hill. I don't know if I know that kid. Oh, specifically. To oh, be honest with you. Well, sorry. Well, fuck me. Um, oh. no, my his- oh. Oh. all right. My history with gentlemen Broncos. Should I go on it? Yep. All yes. right. Cool. Yeah. I mean, no. This I love. Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre, like any other self-respecting millennial Gen Z cusp, you know? So, naturally... As people, as some people on this show are. As some people cusps. like to say. Um, this movie, when it came out, was kind of, I think, getting pushed under the bus a little bit. Or Fox Search, I was just kind of like, yeah, that came out too. Um, right. And mm. I remember seeing the trailer, I'm like, Jesus, this is everything I want. I love sci-fi stuff. I mean, it looks like a Wes Anderson movie, basically. Um, sure. Sam Rockwell, I was like, you know, I discovered Moon at, uh, when it came out, and I was like, no, <laughs> this guy's like the best actor ever was Sam Rockwell! And then yeah. Everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone agreed, and then he started playing racist people to win Oscars, so, you know, that kind of all went up in the Sam air. Rockwell, I'm gonna interrupt you, and it's my show, so I'm allowed to do it, so please let me do it. Uh, for a long time, maybe the most underrated actor in Hollywood. 100%, yeah. The like yeah, the yeah. hidden the hidden like secret sauce and like anyone who discovered it was so happy when they were like I love this actor so much I'm excited to see him in everything and then it just kind of you know uh, went the way it went but yeah I saw the trailer he's in it Jermaine's in it I was obviously into Flight of the Concords everyone was much more into Flight of the Concords at the time um, not that they were like bad now I mean they're fine uh, they're great Jermaine's Jermaine's a wonderful actor. The point there is, was a, there was a there was a peak to Flight of the Concord. Definitely, fandom. oh yeah, and sure. it was about yeah. like a year or two after this movie came out. Definitely, I, yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. I mean, fuck, congrats to Brett. He manages to win an Oscar two years later, and Jermaine goes yes. on to become a great mm-hmm. character actor. So you know, even though Flight of the Concords ran its course along with like Dimitri Martin and all the other kind of like quirkiness of the late two thousands, they managed yes. to find their you know niche essentially. But the, I saw the trailer for this, and it looks silly and weird so i decided to watch it and i'm like wow this movie's kind of bad that's a bummer it's so <laughs> weird that's so weird that jared has made such a weird huh do you see it in theaters no i saw it i i it didn't really come out it's they it kind of like again like yeah i i i hear what you're saying yeah. i was just curious no, if you did because it did technically not. it did have a theatrical release quote unquote it but did. it is 
rental exclusive, baby. Let's wow. I watched it on like one two three free movies.com or something like that. And nice. then for some it's not I didn't think it was like this was like bad. I was just like, this is like silly and my friends didn't like it. And so I was just like, Yeah, that one's I guess not as good as Napoleon Dynamite or Nacho Libre. And then at some point for some reason I watched it again because I'm sure some part of it really like, you know, inspired me to like go back and watch it. And then I was really surprised on how good it was. I was sure. like really I was like, oh, that was like a nice full heartwarming movie that has a lot of silly things in it. And then kind of from that point on, I like watched it again maybe like a year later and I was like, the structure of this movie is fucking cool. What the hell's actually like this movie's actually great. And everybody who talks about this movie talks about how much of a huge piece of shit it is. So it's this kind of like it's like it's like it I feel bad for this movie. I feel very bad for this movie. It is such a geeky little thing that is much smarter than anyone would give it credit for. And also yeah, really accepts what Jared Hess has to offer. Like for like 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 you know, it's it's like my aesthetic or bust, my sense of humor or bust. hundred percent. You know, hundred percent. And so yeah, I kind of slowly fell in love with this movie, and I've just kind of carried it along with me since high school. Is this thing that's like this movie's actually really good, and everyone's just like that movie fucking sucked <laughs> ass. What's wrong with I, you? I, I don't know why, but it's so funny to me having you just stop on a dime and be like and a lot of people think this movie fucking sucks shit and it fucking sucks and eats throw up and eats its own shit but I love it I love that little just that little pivot to just people people are like this movie eats its own dog shit people are mean yeah. people, I, I, it's fair to say this movie got a special Bronco. surgery to take its ribs out so it could suck its own dick they did surgery on Gentleman Broncos <laughs> they did surgery on Gentleman Broncos they did surgery on the DVD blockbuster <laughs> exclusive of Gentleman. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. Um, Rocky, mm-hmm. just for me though, was is the rental exclusive widescreen or full screen? As far as I know, it is widescreen. Wait. Okay, thank God. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Widescreen. They probably have the option, right? Is that used to be the whole thing? Yeah, we can't see that. Yeah, you can't. You can't. It's a little, a little too, little too blown <laughs> out there. Yeah, we can't see that, man. So it's fucked up. Um, here I'm gonna just say what my history with this movie is real quick, and then I'm gonna let me. Can I do? Can I say one last quick thing? I I feel okay. Say it real quick. Yeah, this movie wouldn't. This movie is the blank check after Nacho Libre. I think that is kind of like so. This this movie wouldn't exist without another movie that you guys covered on this podcast. So there's kind of another wonderful. Is it fair? I'm not gonna say that's. I'm not gonna say I totally disagree, but I feel like. Napoleon Dynamite's a little bit more of the catalyst for that. I would say yes, but the fact that Jared Hess and Mike White pulled from Napoleon Dynamite and School of Rock managed to come together and create a very, I don't know how financially well Nacho Libre did, but I'd say that zeitgeist-wise, Nacho Libre did a huge number on kids and on everybody. Yeah. At least on the millennial Gen Z cusp. You know? And wasn't Nacho Libre like a Nickelodeon movie exactly. as well? Do yeah. I, so I so as, yeah. as kind of like a weird combination, like here's your follow-up, but also you are kind yeah. of representing Nickelodeon. It was a big creative success for them to the degree where they kind of, you know, I don't know, got to do this, something else. Nacho Libre, Nacho Libre made almost $100 million <laughs> at the box office. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> like, well, I, I, I stand correct, or you know, I stay remain. Well, the you, problem you is that we had... A quarter of a, a billion dollar budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the first time they ever let a movie have a billion dollar budget was on Nacho Libre. <laughs> we saw it was, just for Jack, it was just for Jack Black's wigs. Yeah, exactly. You had to make him look good. 
Um, so my history with this, real quick, is we do the episode with Thomas where we talk about Nacho Libre. I had never seen Nacho Libre before. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And I literally thought, like, very shortly after, I should give Gentleman Broncos a, a shot because I had never really heard of it. And I was like, I should give this a shot. This looks interesting, and I'm very intrigued more than anything. I'm not necessarily, like, stoked on it, but I'm just intrigued. I'm very curious what this is. This was September, I think, of last year. So this is, like, over a year ago at Mm -hmm. this point. Yeah. Still in Portland, way before the vaccine rollout and everything. And I turned this movie off about 30 minutes in. Uh, because I said this kind of sucks shit a little bit. I was like, it had such a strong opening. Yeah. I love the fucking the title sequence of this movie. The best! And the way Jennifer Coolidge just comes in and is like, are you ready to go? And then just like gives him this shitty brown bag lunch and is like, oh, you think, is that is $20 not going to be enough for like two nights away or whatever, whatever that line is? I'm just like, this is about to be fucking awesome. This is about to be so fucking awesome. And it just tanked for me like immediately after, basically. Like once the hand rubbing lotion scene like on the bus and stuff, I was like, not into this anymore. That so is, I think I turned it off like yeah. 40, like probably halfway through. Sure. Ultimately. That is kind of like the turning point of the movie where it's like, just like, Bob, like past this line, you will accept every dumb thing this movie has to say and you'll like totally. it. Mm-hmm. Yes. 100%. That is the point of no return for this. Exactly. But so I had seen about a half of it, a quarter or a third to a half of it before. Gotcha. Uh, but I had never finished it. So I was in some ways pissed that you picked this one to bring onto the show because there were every other movie on the list that you proposed to us. I was more excited about seeing, but I was like, well, at least I'll be able to f- finish gentlemen Broncos now. Like at least I have a very, like a clear reason why I have to finish this now and like finally return to it. So that's my brief history with it. But obviously we covered Nacho Libre on the show and I'm not as crazy about Napoleon dynamite. I think just on the whole, I think it doesn't hold up as well. And Mason's got the DVD copy of that right there. Ha <laughs> ha. Very funny. Uh, but I really enjoyed Nacho Libre when we covered it. I haven't returned to it since, you know, that year or and change since we covered that with Thomas. But that's where I'm at. Mason, what's your history with this freak freak shit? So I have seen this movie before, actually, oh, if you could believe wow. it. All the way through, I was a freshman in college, and I, uh, as, you know, true Mason heads will know, this is essential to my lore, I was a commuter student at Columbia College <laughs> Chicago for my freshman year. I didn't live in the dorms. Mm-hmm. I moved into my first apartment in July of 2013, and so it must have been either fall or winter of 2012 that I was downtown with uh, the improv club <laughs> and we had yeah. a party at uh, at the Dwight uh, at the Dwight student lofts which is one of three maybe now four or five um, sort of dorms quote unquote in the South Loop in Chicago you know, rather than having like a campus in the traditional sense, mm. Columbia College Chicago just runs out a bunch of fucking buildings in the South Loop, and that's where your classes are. That's where the students live. It's a whole thing. It's where the Seven Eleven is. It's where the Seven Eleven is. Most importantly, it's where the Seven Eleven is. Um, yeah. Where Mason should. There's multiple Seven Elevens. There's actually so there's the Seven Eleven at Two East Eighth. There's also a Seven Eleven in the University Center, uh, the oh, UC, wow. uh, which is on yeah State and uh, I'm sorry Harrison and uh, State. Got it. Um, but in any case, I had friends that were living in the Dwight, which were over on Clark and 
Uh, can't remember the other street, but it was – in any case, I was staying there. I was sleeping on their couch, and I uh, woke up uh, on the couch. I was, like, waiting for either my parents to come pick me up or, or whatever, and uh, the uh, – one of the roommates, um, it was – I was saying uh, – one of the roommates was this girl who turned into a very good friend of mine, uh, Olivia, and she was like, hey, do you want to watch, like, a movie just to sort of, like, pass the time? I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's, what do you got? And so she pulled out. Gentleman Broncos, and she's like, "Damn!" I think if I remember correctly, she was like, "This movie isn't like that great, but the like the the sort of sci-fi sequences in it with the deers are really really good." And that was my, it, that was my uh, 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 sort of frame and expectation going into it, and also kind of I think my takeaway at the at the end of the movie. If I remember anything from my impression of it, seeing it almost a decade ago, it was. That um the I wasn't as into the kind of the uh, uh the 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 I thought Jermaine Clement was really funny uh but I wasn't as into the Michael Angarano portions of it but I really loved the attack dose <laughs> shit like that you know um and after seeing Nacho Libre last year for the show uh, I was really excited that Rocky brought this on. Kind of, I don't think I was due for a rewatch. I don't know if I would have thought, like, if, if I saw this, like, at the library or whatever, be like, let me see what this is about again. Um, but cool, man. That's after, very cool, Mason. That's very cool. Yeah. After seeing Nacho Libre and also after picking up Napoleon Dynamite from the free library in my neighborhood, like, just someone just, like, just put it in one of those little free libraries and I'm like I could take this <laughs> I could take this out of the neighborhood's hands um this was a treat that's a really weird way to rationalize stealing a copy of Napoleon Dynamite it was in no. the fucking little free library I know where they are in my neighborhood I I love having physical media and I can't always afford physical media so I just gotta get my grubby little fingers on some shit sometimes so you steal it's fine just say you fucking <laughs> stole a copy it's of a donation Dynamite. to the neighborhood <laughs> Anyway, the Dwight Lofts were on Clark between Harrison and Polk. I just looked it up. That's right. That's right. You know what's fucked up, actually, is the 22 is the Clark Street bus. It goes up Clark from the loop, basically into Evanston. But it starts on Dearborn. It doesn't start on Clark. Hmm. It ends at Clark, but it makes a little square onto Dearborn. So if you want to take the 22 back from class, you got to go actually in front of the Plymouth dorms. (laughs) Oh. Which are on Dearborn and Polk, but then you can you, you can pick up a burrito at Flacco's Tacos while you wait for your bus to come. That's not bad. It's little Mason's little Mason's Chicago Chicago trip facts for you. Made my balls hurt hearing, hearing that. Made made my balls feel like they're like melting off me when you said that, but in a good way. Um, I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna start really strong. Go for it. With my thoughts on this. Go for it. First, two things that I'm going to throw out in the open. Like it or not, thing number one. Like it or not, Jared and Jerusa Hess are auteurs. Yes. Yes. Thousand like it or not. They are no, auteurs. I mean, I, I, and I was very... I think in this movie, more than Nacho Libre or Napoleon Dynamite, you really get to see that on full display. Absolutely. 100%. That's thing number one. Thing number two. The trees are more interesting to me than the forest in this instance. Interesting. The parts of this movie oh, yeah. are in a in a vacuum mm-hmm. 
more interesting than what they make up. It doesn't like coalesce as well into a one big thing for you as it is yes. a, a, a series of interesting ideas of scenes and stuff like that. Interesting. Well, I'm even just saying like it's got great costumes. Oh yeah. It's got great like art direction. Production Jared design. Jared Hess are doing some really great stuff like camera wise mm-hmm. and with the mise en scene, you know, of everything that's going on. There's some awesome performances. I'm not a Jermaine Clement guy, so I really did not care for whatever the hell was going on with Dr. Che- is it Chevalier? Ronald is that Chevalier, how you say it? yeah. I'm just not a Jermaine Clement guy. I never was a Flight of the Concords guy, really. There's like one song of theirs that I think is, maybe two that I think are funny, but I just was never into those guys. It's it's the Southern Hemisphere of British comedy. It's Australian I was say, and New Zealand comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you don't like Taika, then, do you? Not a huge Taika guy, but I haven't seen a lot of his, like, Oh, this one's actually good movies. Like I've never seen Boy all the way through. Right. I don't like what we do in the shadows very much, but also Jermaine Clement's like a huge part of that film, and I'm just not a huge Jermaine Clement guy. I love that movie. Yeah, me too. Me too. Have you guys seen the show? Is the yeah. show any different? It is I haven't seen the show. It is slightly different, but then once it kind of gets going, it does just feel like extended sequences of the movie. And they kind of find a good rhythm that makes and also it's like a completely different cast, so obviously the context is different. But you have Matt Barry on there. I know you don't like British. Shout comedy, out to Matt Barry. Matt Barry oh yeah, people love Matt Barry. Rules, dude. He's like so fucking funny. I think he's a genius. He is. He is. I mean, all four of the main cast members on Garth Marenghi's Dark Place oh, are yeah. amazing in their own way. But he finds he's always hitting totally on that show nonstop. Even yeah. in even in other times where I don't think the other ones are like hitting as hard, yeah. I feel like he's always hitting. He just but yeah, he has the best instincts when it comes to like this is the exact right wrong way for me to do yes. this line. Like I know 100%. I know how to perform this incorrectly. Which that little voice he does is just so good. The well, what are we going to do? <laughs> like that like whole little like inflection that he does, just like. I'm not doing it justice, but oh, you does fine. such a good job of that. I will okay, say thanks. that Dark Place and this movie share some kinship, in my opinion, uh, which is the kind of recreate the the imagination sequences yes. of this movie are rooted in uh, embarrassing and dramatically inert um, like uh, perspectives. People yes, people totally. who have a story that is personal to them, but the way that they're telling their story is incorrect. It is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. It's like funny to like a degree that's a little aggressive and then like becomes un- like not funny. Um, yes. Yeah. I think this movie is kind of about outsider art in a weird way. And I think that's, that's interesting. That's why I like it yeah. so much because it is about this kid who's like really meek and like Jared and Jerusha had a, a, ne- a niece, no, a nephew in Alaska who was writing sci-fi stories that made his oh, parents really? cry. Oh, really? Damn. A 14-year-old. Awesome. Yeah, so they're like, that's so charming because obviously children need to create. That's like an important thing. Like everyone should be able to create. But yeah, I think this movie is such a cool glimpse at how we make art personal and then what happens when you push that past the inherent humanistic level of art and into commerce and into that's interesting deals you know and to like if i want to be a filmmaker and make it my career then you're going to be dealing with you know uh, a lot of egos and people changing parts of the story that mean something to you inherently and uh, is no longer yours you know let's change this character from rocky pajarito to rock highness Pajaritonius. Yeah. <laughs> Pajaritonius. That, that sequence is fucking 
crazy. And I, I am, a, I am unfortunately yeah. a huge Jermaine Clement head. So this is uh, just this is just where we part ways. But yes. yeah, I think like I am like of the mind like yeah. In this movie, he kind of does no wrong because he plays a huge idiot douchebag who's self yes. who's so confident. Um, yeah. And also, I just like the tone of his voice in a similar way to Matt Barry. Um, and it's in, it's interesting, Mason, that you said that you like the the like you're not as big on the like the a story so to speak mm-hmm. of like kid like loses his rights to his story I wasn't, or whatever I wasn't in 2012 oh, gotcha. um but now I will say just for my kind of take I can sort of see I'm not I I'm kind of in the middle of you guys I think mm-hmm. and maybe leaning a little bit towards Rocky because this is a movie that I really appreciated one just that like it was made and I appreciated the um and I I just I the point I I I, I liked that it was made but I and I can kind of see Noah's thing where it's uh, Noah's point where it's the the elements of it the you know like as he put it so well the trees are work for him more than the forest mm-hmm. or however he he put it I can kind of see and I can kind of agree with him on that but I'm not ready to completely walk away from this movie saying I got nothing out of it because I think just like at the end of the day, I really just like when creators at kind of any level are saying, this is how I view making art and particularly making storytelling, particularly filmmaking, um, uh, uh, just dealing with the, like, like Rocky said, the commercial aspect of, of, of whatever the fuck it is that you're doing with this. Um, and I kind of think that the fact that this is like a, in the sort of, it, I'm sorry, I'm going to say this word, but in the milieu of a late 2000s indie comedy, sure. I think is kind of a hindrance on this more than it helps, I mm-hmm. guess. This is one of the rarer times when I'm watching a 90-minute movie, a movie roughly 90 minutes, and I'm like, could you have found five more minutes of something in here? I, I Something feels like it's missing from this before I can fully, like, love it, I guess. You know, sure. or before I'm, like, totally willing to, to go all the way on it, I guess. That's fair. Yeah. That's just where I'm at. Um, I, I, I think... The, the closest uh, 7-Eleven to the Dwight Lofts mm-hmm. is at 600 South Dearborn Street uh, on mm-hmm. Dearborn and Harrison, just by the way. I, Dearborn and Harrison? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go! We got them spiraling, motherfuckers. Let's go! We got them thinking about Oh, I know where that one is. I know where that one is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. 600 okay. South Dearborn. It does not have good reviews on Google. It has two point. No, that stars. was... I I kind of avoided that 7-Eleven if I was in that part of town. I usually went to the one that was in the UC. Um, not that the one in the UC was a huge 7-Eleven, but it was the most well laid out and the, the kind of most honest about its, itself. It was like the one that had all the... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But, um... Damn, there's a lot of fucking 7-Elevens in the South. Like, I don't... God yeah, damn. this is... A couple weeks ago, you said there weren't a lot of 7-Elevens <laughs> in Chicago, and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Not in the parts I was at, I guess. Um, in, yeah. like, that area, there's a lot. I'm, I take it back. But a lot of them have real shit ratings. Like, I'm just gonna be... I'm just gonna say what I see. A lot of them have shit ratings on Google, star-wise. No so. one said that they were good... Nobody said they were good 7-Elevens. They are just there, though, is the thing. 
Why are you fucking defending these 7-Elevens so fervently? <laughs> fucking weirdo. Anyway, let's talk. Why are we? Why did we get on that tangent? Let's talk about gentlemen Broncos, for God's sake. Um, yeast is such a funny word. Hey, they they knew that. Yeah. They, they knew that you knew that. They knew that we all knew that. Um, yeast is a funny fucking word. What is it? Yeast? Is it Yeast Wars? Yeast Lords. Yeast Lords. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So that is a funny. That is just a funny name. Definitely. East Lords. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, bro. Um, Thank you for agreeing with me. This on is that. this is an interesting uh, side note here. One of my favorite reviews of this movie on Letterboxd is by Armand White, who is a defender of this movie. Wow. And he actually has. A, I mean, like he's like. Wow. You know, he's like kind of a fuckhead in some regards. I also He's a known contrarian. He's the known terrible. Which yeah, right. Which contrarianism is interesting when if you try and look through the prism of contrarianism, it forces you to look at things from a different angle, regardless of saying like, I'm going to say that this is yes. bad no matter what, or I'm gonna say this is good no matter what, you know? Right. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It just forces you to, you know, like whenever I see people being like contrarian about like Speed Racer, for example, or even Robert Altman's Popeye these kinds of movies that I was going to pick for the show. Um, it makes me want to watch them and see like, what am I, what are other people missing or like, what did people, other people not see or whatever. Um, and I think he has a very sweet hearted review of this movie, which talks about the film's perspective being so tied to like a, like the fact that this kid is like, like kind of post puberty. He's like a shrimp. He's like a, like a dweeby mm-hmm. little guy. Sure. And like this, but mm-hmm. it's all, but, and then you see his dad who is this like massive bearded man at the beginning of the movie in like a, in like a portrait yeah. played by Benji Hughes, who is a wonderful indie musician and sang the last song in the season three finale of Eastbound and Down, directed by Jody Hill, wrap around it, observing report. How did you fucking do that, bro? That's fucking crazy. That's, that's how my brain works. It's unfortunate. Um, no, but yeah, I think like it's, it's not for us, not for the show. There you go. Yeah, right? I was gonna say I like that shit. That's good. Yeah, but I think he makes a really good point about how it's like not so much about sci-fi, but it's about like storytelling and what genres do to us. Yeah, and how it like, allows us to kind of like weave our our embarrassing thoughts into um, into something shareable. It's a means of communication. It is, um, totally. it is a desired outreach, you know? And this whole movie, all of Jared Hess's characters are people who are just looked at funny for being so, so fucking weird and like kind of like pushed around because they are weird, you know? And I, I kind of appreciate the underdog element of this movie. And I think also that Jennifer Coolidge is the key for why this movie works for me so hard. Because I think she's very, she's point. very sweet. She's incredible. She, she is just the bleeding heart of the movie because it's Jennifer Coolidge being Jennifer Coolidge and rocking at that. But she, it, it's like, she kind of shares the same melancholy that her son shares in, in the movie, but she's Absolutely. always trying to be as positive as possible. And then she presents her new gown drawings that it's like that moment in Napoleon dynamite when Trisha opens the drawing of her, yeah. that Napoleon drew where you like immediately have to stifle laughter because in the world of the show of the movie, um, it's supposed to be a sincere thing. It's supposed to be right. like super real. This is a person pouring their heart out kind of thing, but it just turned out in the lamest, most awkward way possible. But I don't know something about the way that she is trying to be positive about life really tickles me in this movie. And also kind of makes the whole movie feel like such a sweet endearing little, like, you know, winning awkward comedy. 
totally. even if it isn't for everybody, you know, everyone's cup of tea. But like, if you like particular like gross out humor and like to an extreme, like the greasy strangler, you know, if like you like, if you think mm-hmm. Tim and Eric is like, you know, like like junior league bullshit and you want it to be even grosser or something like that, or more uncomfortable and less like trying to hold your hand or trying to help find common ground for humor where you can understand why it's being funny and it is just instead being aggressive and lame <laughs> and scary kind of. Um, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I just admire uh, the Hesses for being true to themselves. Like like uh, Jennifer Cole says at the beginning of the movie, um, remember who you are and what you stand for. And I think that's uh, this movie kind it of... It's such a beautiful moment when she sends uh, our, our our lead, who I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Benjamin, played um, by Michael Angarano, who I think I just have a... I think I just had a crush on Michael Angarano in yeah. high school. Because I just... I love seeing him in movies. He is a cutie patootie. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, he's fucking hot. Fucking almost famous. He's like an adorable little kid. And then he's in like Snow Angels and a bunch of other... Sky High. Sky High, sure. Yeah, totally. Sky High was... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sky High is a good movie, actually. People say Sorry. this. People say this. People are saying. People, I liked it when I saw it in People theaters. are saying that Sky High is my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> Trump getting COVID and then being like, I need to watch Sky High to make myself feel better. I have a bad Kanye West bit here, if I can just do it since it's just Sky High. Absolutely. Um, can you say, can you ask, hey, Kanye, what's your favorite superhero movie? Hey, Kanye, what's your favorite superhero movie? Uh, uh, Sky High. Um, uh, Sky High. Yep, that is a bad bit. Yeah, that. Well, that I am uh, Michael Bluth opening Dead Dove Do Not Eat. I don't know what I expected. I don't know what I expected. I told you it was a bad bit, and you let me do it. Uh, That's a great point about Jennifer Coolidge. I think that you're right that she brings a heart into this. One of my the the, her going. um, Do you think four dollars is going to be enough in the beginning of the movie? yeah. Yeah, is such a good. That that her delivery of that line is like the it kind of opened like what like only Jennifer Coolidge could sell that line, make it both super sweet, super endearing, make you love that character, and also have it be the funniest, most pathetic thing that you've ever heard. Pathetic is a perfect. This movie is filled with pathetic people. I think it's like it's it is, but it loves them exactly, which is yeah. nice, you know. Cause, yeah, yeah, because they're just like they're they don't know that they're pathetic, which is kind of like I guess it's kind of like a and Chris, they're also Chris like broke. Thing. Yeah, no, you know, I think that it's super Americana. I mean, they love all the mall stuff, and mm-hmm. there's like there's coverage in this movie at the mall where the fucking Lonnie played by Hector Jimenez and, um, and then Hallie Pfeiffer's character are talking to Benjamin at his mom's clothing store. And behind them is just a massive store filled with guns. The wall is just a line yes. with assault rifles. It is such a funny little piece of like production design, a gag that is, is not called out in the slightest, but it is just there and is indicative of how the Hesses view America. Just so funny. One of my favorite characters in this movie is only in the movie for a little bit, but it's Josh Pice yes. as the uh, as oh sort of the chaperone. Yeah. So he's so funny. fucking yeah, good. He's, he's the best. so his, funny. He's an amazing actor. His physicality is just so, so funny. Yeah, a man who is um, so unnerved that he might as well slink out of each scene that he's in just because he like, yeah. is so uncomfortable. I would love to see him in a Todd Salons movie. I think he would be so brutal. Oh, he, yeah, Todd I'm surprised Salons if he movie. hasn't been yet. He is in a... Um, Oh, not Lynn Ramsey. Lynn Shelton. He's in a Lynn Shelton movie. Uh, that seems kind of sweet. Called Touchy Feely. Uh, 
uh, I want to check that out. He's, he's a great mm-hmm. actor. And he has a line read in the bus after the, the $4 thing where he says, um, some of you can't afford to eat at the cafe, <laughs> yes, yes. but those of you who can't will just eat the food you brought from home. <laughs> and it cuts and to all the kids opium. like nodding like, yeah, we will. <laughs> that opening sequence kind of really just sets up it's foreshadowing because he's getting taken advantage of by that girl. Yeah. Like money wise, you know, and yeah. slight romantic attraction, you know, there, but I think mostly in like a money way, you know, yeah. uh, well, romantic attraction in the sense that like, she obviously wants him to give her money and is basically seducing him into doing so, you know? Yeah. And it's a great foreshadowing for basically what the main conflict of the movie is, where this kid has to go up against his idol and Titan, you know, who stole his idea. Yeah. And it's like, he clearly can't, fend for himself even and just being taken advantage of by this girl how is he going to go up against the most successful quote-unquote sci-fi writer of all time yeah quote unquote, he, is, you know? he is such a doormat and i think i like i find kinship in that unfortunately i'm, yeah, a, very, yeah. I'm a very socially awkward yeah i was as a kid I, and i still am myself and i just like see this guy and everything just kind of like is like pushing him around and it's, the movie is just him really looking like the fuck like why do i have to keep living like this and the movie eventually <laughs> I, yeah shows him like kind of pulling himself up and doing something about it which is realizing that he's the only one who can do anything about it totally and he has to yeah. do it for people he loves particularly his mom and it, like it's worth it's, it it's a uh it's a very similar arc to viola davis's character in the classic film widows but uh yes. we've never covered that show that we haven't covered that movie on the show yet but um that was Haglinger. one thing that i Chicago finger in the air air. uh but that was I that was I'm not gonna lie that like I kind of I think maybe my struggle with finding my way into this movie uh was because I had miscalculated that um Michael Angarano was playing a, a, a kid a kid specifically who was just so deeply lonely and sad um at the top that I I just kind of was like you know I don't like I'm liking the kind of everything else around this movie, but I'm just having a difficult time getting in because I just don't feel like kind of a, not that I don't feel a connection to the character. Like I, I can obviously relate to a lonely teenager protagonist, a lonely creative teenage protagonist. Um, but I just couldn't like, you know, just, it was, I kind of, because he was a doormat, I wanted him to be like, do something, do something, Mm -hmm. do something. And then as the movie went on, I was just more like, well, you know, like, this is a pretty like accurate portrayal of uh and and just sort of performance of like how those kids just kind of are and just how they act and it it's a great sort of arc and story that he just is after seeing his his idol steal his like the 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 crown jewel of his creative work from him he just like kind of gets a fucking backbone and can stand up for himself and or maybe even before then, like just seeing his work seen on the big screen, um, done, uh, or even him acting, uh, just him running out of that, of the screening of the movie and just immediately throwing up is so fucking funny. And then fucking so funny. Pally Pfeiffer running out after him, kissing him and swallowing the vomit. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's gross. (laughs) So good. Yeah. She's also tremendous in this. I, I don't think there's a, I don't know if there's a, bad performance or a performance I think is kind of off in this movie I don't think you know um, you know what misunderstood comedy from 2009 also has a vomit kiss yeah observe and report baby 
Um, You're a fucking asshole for that. <laughs> yeah, I did that. I did, You're a... I did that for fucks. Um, also, yeah. the, the, the movie version. Wait, Rocky, tilt your zoom camera a little bit. Is that a, 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 a sort of Charlie Kelly-esque red line paranoid like 2000s comedy no, he's no. gonna tube in us no, he's gonna, wrong he's way. gonna, he's no. gonna mason mcguire us <laughs> yeah that's gross dude um, <laughs> back on track the movie that lonnie makes in this movie i i i relish in how much jared has to, to like just loved making a bad movie a bad vhs movie and just like yeah, like you, all you, the, the, the the terrible effects, the poor acting, suddenly realizing that Mike White's character got dubbed over by a Scottish man. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's weird. So you know what else? It's so once like one thing that I love it like I, I I absolutely agree with you. It feels like a pretty like authentic, just like local, locally made movie too. Like just like the kind of weirdo shit that just someone in your community would make. Totally. Is that the white balance wasn't yeah. properly configured. Yes. So it's just so just on Michael Angarano just compl- so blown out. Like it sounds good. Like somehow they got this it's to sound pretty decent, but just just so blown out and it was so funny yeah bad filmmaking jokes are kind of like anyone can throw in a boom mic accidentally being in frame to like joke like oh it's a bad movie or like this is like yeah like stiff acting or something exactly but like yeah there's so much nuance to the way that he uses the camera and the camera movements the the lasers that fly across the screen look like absolute dog shit like it, yeah. it is, mm-hmm. it is, it's something that I, yeah, I just really eat up and uh, love. It's also like, you eat dog shit. I eat dog. No, <laughs> that's maybe my favorite Christopher McDonald line read ever in Happy Gilmore. I guess right where he's like, you eat yeah. pieces of shit for breakfast. No, like, he looks scared. No. <laughs> like, he looks scared that he got got. Yeah, that he does pieces of shit for breakfast. Yeah, I was like now he I have eats to... his own shit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Billy Madison, right? So yeah, um, the the giant penguin. <laughs> yeah, giant penguin and Billy Madison's a great aspect of Billy, gentleman. Brothers yeah, I, in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, Mike White, we haven't talked about enough. He produced this movie. They, Jared Hess and him must have had a great time working on Nacho Libre, um, to the point where yeah. like Jared Hess will show him this, and Mike White would be like, "You're a fucking weirdo." Okay, sure, why not? I think it's great that like Mike White put his name on this and like tried to, to champion it. Um, and Mike White's still going strong. Dude, yeah. I mean, he nearly won Survivor, got second place. Um, That's not really what I'm talking about, but, you know, to each their own with Mike White in the current day. Uh, you also got the White Lotus, which I liked a lot. Um, White Lotus was Jennifer good. Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge, exactly, right? They just, yeah. This this little pocket of, of indie comedy is, is, is really cool. Um, but, yeah, I think Mike White's pretty silly in this there's a there's a snake that shits and farts um yep <laughs> all over that's him. true that's true it happens he dips yeah. darts in his own shit that he keeps in a vial uh for no reason someone asks him like do you do that because it like like poisons the person and he says i don't know so he just dips darts and shit and then shoots them at people <laughs> and it hits jennifer coolidge in the boob and it turns out it's one of her like you know enhancement jellies Implants. or whatever yeah yeah. So that's really cool. I'm just gonna name things that happen in this movie that clearly tickle me and me alone. Um, Go for it. Let's see what. Uh, but I like. I I do like the the vulgarness. He wasn't fucking like... kidding, Mason. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'll be <laughs> Go for it, Rock. Um, I write French mysteries. You know, 
because that line's funny. Um, <laughs> um, what kind of movies have you made? Horse movies, romance, soaps, fantasies. He's made, 80, yeah, made 83 of those movies. Um, then there's a scene where later on, Chevalier is reading one of Hallie Pfeiffer's books because she set up that he, she writes horse mysteries. Yeah, the horse mystery thing is weird as fuck. Yeah, it's, crazy. it's so it's so weird. And there's a line in particular that's Pierre has two horses, Jacques and Paris, France, both girls. I think that line's very funny. Um, he he, <laughs> okay. he he frantically is trying to pitch a book because they're telling him they're going to take him off uh, his contract, and he's like, "Wait, wait, wait Murph, moon fetus. A fetus is found on the moon." Yes, <laughs> that's the premise. Um, what else do I got? Um, this one this is fetus sounds pretty cool to me, actually. Gen- I do. I agree. I said I'd watch that movie. Jennifer Coolidge is showing off her dresses, and at one point she says, "This one is breakfast inspired." <laughs> that's a good line. It's a pretty good line. Um, rat poison and some of my poo. Um, the skin pocket that is in that is so other- fucking disgusting. Yeah, yeah. it's that's yeah. I, what I love about those kinds of moments is that the music in the film recreations are so dramatically sincere as though like they're giving emotional credence to this terrible piece of shit outsider story uh, but like the, the music is playing it like it's a fucking Morricone thing you know like it's a fucking hero yeah. shot and that it's like dramatically like, it's how yeah. it's how uh, Angarano sees it in his head and as he's writing it exactly yeah and then you see how Chevalier sees it in his head which is even weirder. <laughs> um, Don't love that they dropped a, a little a little Tiesler in the sucker here. That's one thing that, that yeah. is very very uh, 2009 about it. And I'm just kind of like very 2009. Don't like very Utah, I guess in a sense too. Yeah, but I mean also yeah, yeah I agree. It's just kind of a thing that was a remnant of how yeah. fucking and, and this is, loose we were about that shit for a long time, even up until yeah. And it's just kind of like a couple years ago. You know, this is such a, a Tonally, this movie is very like vulgar and and gross. There's a lot of puke. There's guns that come out of deer's butts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not. Uh, there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of uh, burps and farts and things like that. And just just throwing throwing that word in there. I'm just kind of like, this, this, you didn't. That didn't sound like mean to you even back then. Like you didn't. Yeah. I, of course, you know it was just such a use so casually back then but I'm also I don't know why like, I don't know why you're surprised about that actually to be honest with you I know it's shocking in 2021 but like that was 12 years ago things have dramatically shifted so much it doesn't surprise me to hear that even in an indie comedy from 2009 I, I'm not saying it's right I'm just saying it doesn't surprise me I'm sure. like oh yep they're saying it we're just <laughs> different than on that I, I, I don't know, I, don't know. It just, I thought my I thought my zoom froze um, I see both your points. <laughs> I agree that it is kind of a bummer to hear, and also that it is like, yeah, just like super indicative of how how things have been. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going through my list again. I like that there's a um, a candy dish full of bullets. I think that's a really cool piece of uh, yeah of weird art. That scene is fucking crazy. Um, with the Jennifer Coolidge brings her dresses to this guy who's supposed to like you know fund her shop and her her art. And then he asks her to get naked, and she's heartbroken, obviously. And yeah, she starts. And that's cr- just, yeah. yeah, that's just another kind of just part of like this, this sort of like this corporate sort of like 
I like that every, all main characters in this movie have like some sort of passion or some sort of like artistic drive. Even the the Halle Pfeiffer character, she's like a good producer, you know, and that's a skill in, in and of it. She takes it so seriously. And it's very it's very charming. She does take it so seriously. Yeah. Um, God love her. Um, but you know, Jennifer Coolidge has this like kind of she makes these dresses and regardless of like their I guess their quality or how you were thinking or judging them that she makes them that she has like a scrapbook and like a, a sketchbook full of just these intricate and very varied designs you know like she has this passion she has this sort of artistic thing and she brings it to the money guy basically yeah. to be like hey help me out with this and he turns out to be a huge fucking creep you know and in the end her dream gets realized because her like you know her dream i don't want to spoil too much but her dream does get realized and it's sort of this like this like you know every time that something big pops in the culture and most recently in october 2021 it is the squid game i have not seen an episode of the squid game i don't have my parents netflix information anymore and i am too scared to ask them for that so i'm just never gonna see the squid game but i am seeing Wait a this minute. shit go hold around hold on hold on Shut no up. we're Wait moving past this we're moving past this we're moving Fuck, past this because right. you always see this thing that's like, oh, the creator of Squid Game wrote it 10 years ago and was like, it couldn't get it made for 10 years or whatever. And it's supposed to be like this, oh, this artistic persistence thing with, yes, absolutely it is. But it also has to be this thing like, I, making a TV show is hard. Yeah. <laughs> you need a lot of money to make a TV show, something on the level of Squid Game. But at some level, you just kind of want to be like, just figure out what you what you have around you and what you can just do with what you got around you to be resourceful and what's so sweet about this movie I think is it's like it doesn't matter that Jennifer Coolidge's you know dresses aren't going to be in every pennies in the United States or whatever it's going to be with that guy they get made and she has a fashion show anyways and that's what's beautiful and that's what to me at least is valuable um i think i'm talking myself into liking this movie more than i initially gave the impression that i did rocky you get to say three more things that you like about this movie and then we have to be done we have to move on to the other shit because we're going for a really long time understandable um popcorn balls in a popcorn car um, yep, that's funny. Yeah, those are pretty funny. Two popcorn balls. And this yeah. is, I'm going to go into spoiler territory because it is just one of my favorite things, but the scene where Michael Angarano um, fucking clocks Jermaine Clement in the head uh, for stealing yeah. his stuff and then goes to jail. Uh, when when Jennifer Coolidge comes to visit him, uh, it's a really affecting moment to me because um, yes. it's very clear just how, like, it kind of doesn't matter that he, you know, like, he got, like, the, the last laugh or whatever. He gets to fucking punch the dude in the face and, like, you know, like, you know, have that power over him, I guess, or whatever. But his story is stolen and no one cares. And it's been adapted into a bad movie, so on and so forth. And there's a shot of Angarano on police bench, uh, a prison bench, like, you know, like, lay, laying on his back, looking up. And a single tear falls down his face. And that's just such a simple thing, obviously. Any movie would put that in. Any TV show would put that in. Anyone would do that. But the way they sell it, and with Jennifer Coolidge's performance right next to him, it is so warm. I think it's just such a loving little moment. And then the fact, the fact that the resolution is that Jennifer Coolidge, because he loved, she loves her son, has been registering all of his stories since he was seven years old with the writers. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so fucking good. It is so... It's like just context alone, un, like just taking in the information that that is what saves the day is her loving her son so much that she does that. And then they fucking kick in the in the year 2525 song again. I'm just yeah. fucking like in the audience and everyone else is like sitting there like, you know, 
bored out of their minds. And I'm just like, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank Sitting you, there, Jared. There, <laughs> opening up the Coke, you know, cup or whatever, being like, all right, I have to piss. Yeah. So I'm in the Coke I'm cup. peeing in the I cup now. I wonder the credits coming. I'm going to do it. Um, Ex- explaining it to the entire audience. <laughs> I'm going to pee in this cup. Yeah. You guys are pissing me off. I'm going to pee in this cup. <laughs> and then I brought it up earlier, but the fact that this is a dual narrative, and that we follow the story of yeast lords in three different perspectives, Nar- like 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 uh, linearly. We just kind of cut between each perspective, but it is the same story going through its act structure. I think it's such a cool thing. I think it's awesome. I want to steal it. I want to do it myself. Um, I'm going to go to jail. Uh, but I think that's what I have to say about gentlemen Broncos. I, 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 you are going to go to jail for a very different reason, but yes, that will be part of the case. Finally. It's it's for being too handsome and too sweet. Thank that's you. not what I was thinking, but keep going. That is, that is true, also. <laughs> yeah, it's also true. Yeah. Um. So is that yeah. Those are your those are your final three I, thoughts on general. I think those are my final three thoughts. I'm sending the Armand White uh, review. I think it does make a really good case for why Jared Hess rules and why this movie is unique and uh, kind of deserves some props for trying something out. As Mason said in his. Um, letterbox review modestly ambitious and i just like that an original comedy like this was really trying something and comes out with a massive heart on its sleeve that i just i i'll I'll cherish and also the fact that people like you know don't really resonate with this movie but it means a lot to certain like a small sect of people is kind of what makes certain pieces of art special i think it's what makes art that you guys talk about on this show special and i think that's uh Mm -hmm. that's a wonderful thing so i'm 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 happy to have gentlemen broncos in my life Noah, wow. do you want to speak to your perspective on this a little bit? I feel like Rocky and I uh, gave the the two big pluses, I think, towards this movie, but you've seen – you liked it. I want to be clear that I understand that you like this movie, but you're not as, as hot on it. You're not convinced that it, it, it like kind of fully works necessarily. I don't think it fully works. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of, that's kind of the big bummer of the movie. Sure, yeah. I agree with everything that you guys are saying, either in theory or that, yes, that does happen – but I don't think it's strong a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like, my biggest, like, bummer because I'm like, damn, there's a lot of cool parts here. There's a lot of cool ideas here. Yeah. And I don't think they coalesce into something that mm-hmm. ultimately works as a whole. Sure. I think you get bright moments. I think you get bright ideas. I think you get bright spots. And that's it's disappointing because, like I said at the very beginning of this conversation, the Hesses are auteurs, whether we like it or not. And I think you mm-hmm. get to see it mostly on display in this movie in its most, like, natural, raw form. Almost, you could argue Napoleon Dynamite as well. That was sort of their coming out party sure. uh, in terms of style and whatever. And obviously Wes Anderson, you know, it's it's like it's Mormon Wes Anderson <laughs> almost, yeah, exactly, basically, yeah. mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Less but referential, but very much of it, of that sort of... Of that ilk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I just, don't, I just don't think it works all the way through. And it is sort of just like a little bit of a slog for me, especially because I'm not huge on Jermaine Clement, and a lot of the movie revolves around the conflict between Jermaine Clement and Michael, is it Anna Gra- Anne Garano? Anne Garano, yeah. And Anne Garano. Yeah. It's just, it's just not working for me all the way through, but I do like like this movie a little bit more on paper than I do in actuality. Sure. Um, and I don't really have a good reason other than just... I just am like, okay, I guess, Yo, you know, whatever. This movie's yeah. kind of a two-hander. You just fully don't like one of the actors that's, like, running the show. So, like, naturally, it's just going to not kind of work for you. Yeah. In my opinion, and in this movie's opinion, everything that Clement is doing is great, you know? It's like, right, it's yeah. like that's, like, the, that's kind of the, the driving force of the film is that 
this character actor is getting to be very, very silly in very particular ways. There's like there's yeah. just sequences based around him saying things funny, essentially. So yeah, if that yes. if that doesn't work for you, then the rest of it kind of falls apart. But if you're kind of willing to take you know like these like concessions or like if you even like that kind of part, then it does kind of build a wobbly little pyramid. I think. Yeah, I'm not. I don't hate this movie. It's just. I'm not gonna watch it again. <laughs> I'm just. I'm not gonna watch this. I'm not gonna watch this damn thing again. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, I feel like we should move into the fast facts wrap up shit. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's December go. 2007. Let's go. JoeBlow.com reported that Jared and Drusa has had signed with Fox Searchlight Pictures to produce Gentleman Broncos based on a spec script. The deal called for Jared to direct and Mike White, who co-wrote Nacho Libre with them, to produce. Of course, that is Gentleman Broncos. In early August 2008, work on internet viral marketing began, which had a video introducing the character of Ronald Chevalier. Those videos are weird as fuck, and I can't believe that they made those as viral marketing. I watched them on YouTube. They are... Again, I don't really like him, so I wasn't, like, big on it, but if you like Jermaine Clement, it's just bonus tomfoolery from Jermaine Clement. Totally. You know? Yeah. So they're kind of worth, I guess they're worth checking out if you're, if you're into that, if you're into that shit. Yeah. If you're into Mm -hmm. that, I had a kid in uh, middle school uh, in eighth grade science class. And I'll never forget this. He was this really quiet kid. His name was Jonathan, but he went by Leon of all (laughs) names. Like just this really weird guy. And I remember in eighth grade, we were learning about the theory of evolution, which in the scientific sense of the word theory is a, like, we all accept that this is the reality of the situation. But I remember the teacher being like, you know, well, you know, technically a theory is not, you know, proven, proven, but it's more or less proven in the sense that everybody agrees that this is sort of like what's going on. And in this case, it's the theory of evolution, you know, and he just goes very quietly under his breath. Yeah, if you believe in that shit. <laughs> just like so yeah. quietly in class. Wow. Yeah. The subtle cross necklace. Wow. The he probably had a position in Trump's cabinet, didn't he? He was, he was in Trump's admin. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, Leon to, Mike Pence. to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he was Mike Pence. He was under Mike Pence's desk. Oh, time, um, so. Yeah, very cool. Michael Angarano was recommended by Jared Hess by casting director Meredith Tucker, though Hess was unfamiliar with his work. When he watched Snow Angels, Hess was, quote, blown away by his performance. He embodied what the character needed to be on every level. Snow Angels also features Sam Rockwell. I uh, and Green. music by David Wingo. Yeah. He did the music for the music for this movie was done by David Wingo. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. And did music from the night special, which we covered last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character of Chevalier is based on Utah-based science fiction fantasy writer Dave Farland, who also writes under the name Dave Wolverton, and who conducts popular novel writing workshops and seminars. The Yeast Lords is a take on his most popular and best-selling book, The Rune Lords. This film received mostly negative reviews and holds a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes no, based on 79 what? reviews. That's really fucking low. Like, even movies that aren't, like, good will have, like, a 55%, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes right. or whatever. This is, like, dastardly bad. Yeah. According this to is, the general This is, public. like, they thought it was poison, basically. Yeah, three-fourths of audiences all agree that this movie is, like, not for them. Uh, this movie's fucking terrible. Um... <laughs> Quote, unselfconsciously juvenile and overwhelmingly quirky, Gentleman Broncos offers a lot of potty humor but isn't terribly funny. Metacritic gave it a generally unfavorable 28 out of 100 based on 21 reviews. 
Roger Big Boy Ebert gave the film two out of four stars, writing that, quote, while Hess invents good characters, they quickly become lost in a disjointed and meandering story. However, Richard Brody, writing for The New Yorker, lauded the film and in 2018 described Gentleman Broncos as, quote, a truly great film with no asterisk whatsoever. So, very interesting two sides of the same coin yeah. there. And I, Richard I'm Brody's more inclined, such a frustrating guy sometimes. <laughs> I'm more inclined to agree with Raj on that sure. again. I think, like I agree, like he said. That's a two out of I four. I like the that's parts of this story. movie. You know, hey, hey that's, that's two out of four stars. We love that <laughs> shit. Uh, Jared Lawrence Hess and Jerusha Elizabeth Hess are husband and wife American filmmakers best known for Napoleon Dynamite, Nacho Libre, and of course, Gentleman Broncos, all of which they co-wrote and which were directed by Jared. Uh, they also produced music videos for the Postal Service's third single, We Will Become Silhouettes, mm-hmm. and the Killers' Christmas charity single, Boots. Not familiar with either of those videos. Are you guys? Uh, I've no. seen the Postal Service video at some point in my life, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, they, he should make more music videos. He's clearly got the style for it. 100%. Yeah. I, I have another factoid here. I, I missed it. Sam Rockwell, oh. Sam Rockwell died in 2008 doing his own stunts for Gentleman Broncos. And he quote here, this is my favorite movie I ever did. I think this is probably my peak. I wouldn't mind if I died tomorrow. And then he died the, on the next day, with the final stunt of the movie. And apparently every Sam yeah. Rockwell movie after this movie is just an imposter that they've been hiring. It's like different imposters each movie. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah, it, Ram Sockwell. I don't know how no one's noticed I, that. Yeah, I have his website here. It looks great. He, he, seems, yeah. he seems hireable. Anyway, you were saying Jared no. met Jerusha while attending Brigham Young University Film School. Together, they co-wrote the film Napoleon Dynamite, which was produced and edited by their classmate Jeremy Kuhn. Mm-hmm. While at BYU, Jared wrote and directed a student film entitled Cardboard Only, which is about a seven-year-old Idaho farm boy who struggles to escape boredom while wearing a cardboard box over his head. While at BYU, Jared also wrote and directed a short film entitled Palooka, which became a prototype for Napoleon Dynamite and featured much yeah. of the same cast and plot line, including John Heater as Seth, quote super nerd extraordinaire besides napoleon dynamite and palooka jared has worked as a camera assistant in a number of films and played minor roles in a few latter-day saint comedies which is its own subgenre that i was not privy to these include titles such as the singles ward the rm or pride and prejudice a latter-day comedy that it could be an entire episode of this show on its own love to dig into that shit he also made a netflix co-made a Netflix uh, true crime series called Murder Amongst the Mormons, which apparently oh. is pretty good. Uh, it's like a, I've actually, I've seen that on Netflix. I haven't watched it, yeah. but I've seen that it's there. I didn't realize that actually he was involved in that. Directed the first three episodes. Oh, uh, oh. and that's it. Those are actually all the facts I have. Uh, Mason, who, what, or which is your Mercedes Valuable Player, and do you recommend this movie? My Mercedes Valuable Player, very easy. It was the first thing... I wrote when the movie was done is Jermaine Clement. I think that he's, I, I just think that this, this performance is so inspired um, as a guy that I think, um, <laughs> I, I think, I think that this, this character, uh, Ronald Chevalier, Dr. Ronald Chevalier um, yes. is teetering on the precipice of not believing his own bullshit anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's just like just grasping on just desperately to his like sorts of sort of trinkets and and um sort of totems of of wealth and and influence and i just i i think he's so so funny in this movie so that's a pretty clear mercedes valuable player for me 
I'm going to give this a very strong recommendation. I don't feel confident enough to give it a full recommendation quite, but I really think that this is something that has more value than a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, certainly. And I think that it's a pretty touching and heartfelt story about making your own goddamn shit and just making shit with people that you love and learning to believe in yourself and to get the... um, to kind of get the courage to stand up to your heroes, you know, uh, in, in, in some way. Um, and I just think it's a good, a, a pretty good movie about standing up for your own damn voice. And it's, it's, it, it is worth it in that regard for me personally. So that's all I got to say on that. Balling it off to who's ever next here. That's me. Uh, that's going to be, that's going to be me. Actually, I'm going to go next. Thanks. Uh, Mercedes value player. Goes to Jared and Jerusha Hess. Jared and Jerusha Hess. Like I said right. before, some really cool technical filmmaking actually going on in this film. I think more so than in Napoleon Dynamite. Like I think there's some very actually absolutely expertly crafted camera work, mm-hmm. production design, mise en scène, and that all obviously comes from the brain of someone, you know, and the brain of multiple people. But the person who has to sort of stand there and say yes and no is Jared Hess and obviously writing this with Jerusha, um, his wife, you know, coming from their brain, they're a team. So I got to give my Mercedes Bible player, uh, to them as a team. This is going to get a conditional recommend from me. I think you're going to know if this is your shit or not, basically how we're talking about it, uh, on this show. Um, it is notoriously not a well-liked film. Uh, but, there is some things to enjoy in this film. I genuinely think there's some good stuff going on in this movie. So I'm going to give it a conditional recommend because I didn't dislike watching it in ways I have truly disliked watching other things <laughs> for this show. Uh, but I didn't fully come away from this thinking like, oh, that's actually a good movie all the way through. Sure. Conditional recommend. Jared and Jerusha has my Mercedes valuable player. Rocky. Yeah. What do you got? To tack on to the Jared and Jerusha has really quick. Um, there's like explosions in this movie and like really cool, like outfits and equipment and practical effects going on. Like it's really charming. I just love seeing the action sequences for the really incredible awkwardness of them, but like the, like the confidence that they have with them. Um, So Mm -hmm. I agree with you on that. My runner up for, um, can I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, cause it's my show. So please let me do this real quick. Okay. Uh, I'm actually going to give a Z Vaughn to someone in this movie. Hey, okay. Interesting. I'm give, Interesting. I'm, I'm going to give a Z-Von to Josh Pice. He's not in the movie enough yeah. for me to be like, that's my Mercedes valuable player. Like, I don't think he's like coming up to bat in like clutch situations in the same way that Jared and Drusha Hess, Michael Anz- Angarano, and Jermaine Clement in theory would be. But every time he's on screen, he's so fucking funny. And I just love guys who are just so meekly pathetic like he is yeah. uh, in that way. So he gets my Z-Von. I don't know why he doesn't get more notable work. He's so good. Yeah, he, so that he, there's a Zevon going on for me. He reminds me of like Patrick Fischler, like of these like league of character actors. Yes. You yeah. see them, and you're like, fuck yes, Give, do whatever you want, man. I'm gonna enjoy it, and you're gonna be weird and make me feel uncomfortable, but also have a great time. Um, yes. Yeah. So my runner-up for the uh, Mercedes-Benz best performer or whatever. Um, I don't know if I can listen to the show. It's bullshit. I don't like podcasts. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I actually agree. Um, so. 
are is cover art the idea of cover art not only in the opening credits mm. of this film which is a masterpiece and also wonderfully follows along from the opening of napoleon dynamite which was kind of an afterthought according to this article that I was reading about how napoleon dynamite came about um someone suggested they do that for the for the opening credits and that's wonderful i think it's such a good way to zone you into a world and a tone and in this movie it's like it's almost as if the movie starts out as a masterpiece and then can only go downhill from there because the design and the idea of this sequence are so good. And also, I love that Ronald is obsessed with the cover art. And that's the only reason he picks Benjamin's story because it's the only story with cover art on it. And I think that's really interesting mm -hmm. and a cool uh, plot point. But like I mentioned before, uh, also, uh, my Zivon is Mike White. He's so cool and so silly in this movie and gross and funny. And he poses in funny ways on cars and stuff. Um, but my uh, Mercedes pick is Jennifer Coolidge, who, in my opinion, makes Let's go, makes the baby. movie work. And she All is right. just go. just the best. She's so cool. I, I can get behind that. Yeah, I love her forever. What about, do you recommend this movie? Conditional, I think. You know, I, you know, I, re I recommend it. Like, I'm like teetering between a conditional and a full. Like, give this movie a chance. Open your heart to it. And, you know, like if you're a fan of like Tim and Eric stuff or even like kind of Lynchian humor, I guess you can you can dive right into this and feel at home or at least see something very interesting and unique. I think people um, jump on Jared Hess being, you know, like the fact that from Gentleman Broncos and onward, it is not the heights that were reached by Nacho Libre and Napoleon Dynamite. And they kind of like come kind of, mm -hmm. like make fun of that kind of uh, in that sure. regard. Um, I think they've been doing stuff that is so much more worthy of appreciation and of kudos than people are, are, are you know, giving credit for. Uh, there, there's a lot of um, kind of like in the same way of like Wachowskis and Ang Lee. There are people out there who are like Jared Hessaw tourists and Jerusha Hessaw tourists, obviously. And I'm, I, I join them heartily. I think that they have some cool shit going on, even if they're not entirely your thing. So conditional recommend, I suppose. Hell yeah. Uh, I don't know if Noah mentioned this, but this did you talk about how much money this cost and then how much it raked in at the box office? Ooh, no. I did not. I wasn't going to go there, but Mason, go there. Fucking cool. The budget for this film was $10 million. So modest. They don't, make, they don't make that anymore. No one gives $10 million. They don't make them anymore. They give we you should make more. $100 million to make the one movie that's going to be made the entire year. It's fucking stupid. Exactly. Um, $10 million. But it raked in one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah, yikes! At the box office, not big good. yikes! I knew that this movie did not make was not a box office sensation by any means. I did not think it was so. In blank check terms, how many black hats is that? <laughs> Negative one. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, Christ! Something. I forget how many how much black hat made, but yeah, I forget how that works. But it's uh, man, it's that it really is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, you know, and. So it goes, but I think uh, it, it and the Hesses have found their audiences over time. Same way with like, you know, Observe and Report, another movie that was kind of misunderstood at the time when it came out this exact year, 2009, uh, misunderstood for not being what people expect it to be. Be like the Apatow movies. For this movie, be like right. be like mm -hmm. Napoleon Dynamite. Be like a little more accessible, please. Um, right. And yeah. it just, you know, trying to fly its own freak flag and um, finding its audience years later on. I think that's cool. Rocky. What? <laughs> <laughs> we did it, man. We made it to the end of the show um, after more than two hours. Fucking believable. I cannot believe this episode. This episode makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. I love you both. And um, thank you for having me. Again, I adore this podcast and it is like exactly my shit. So I am so thankful to have been on it so many times. 
Um, yeah. I, Thanks, I, brother. Of course, yeah. You two are the best. Just just know that. Thank you, boss. Yeah. Uh, this is the part of the show you came to do. This is the plug section. You can plug anything you want. Plug away. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd as R-O-N-C-K-Y. Um, uh, R-O-N-C-K-Y-M-O-U-S-E. Exactly. Ronky Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good, actually. Sorry. It's okay. Um, watch everything now every Monday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Pacific, twitch.tv slash everything now show. We are a uh, improvised, interactive comedy show. It's kind of like the Comedy Bang Bang podcast, but if it had the visuals of like just a bunch of green screen craziness, essentially. Um, yeah. And audience participation is encouraged. Yes. Uh, yeah. I popped in there in the comments for last Thursday's episode and it was a blast. Oh, so thanks, if my man. word means anything to these listeners, get, get get on to Twitch on Mondays and Thursdays and hang out with the, the wackos at Everything Now. Thank you, Mason. And also uh, one of our star... Uh, supporting players on the show is one Noah Marger. So you can come see him. Yes. Do some wackiness and really throw things off the rails in the most exciting way possible. Um, for Chris. For Chris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really make Chris's life shitty for about two hours a couple times a month. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Right. Is there nothing else? Is there nothing more joyous? Um, I'm on Twitter, Rocky Fajarito. Uh, I guess that's it. I'm on Instagram, The Lawn Wrangler. And I'm on TikTok. Rocky Pajarito. I watched The Little Shop of Horrors for the first time last night. I'm plugging that. That movie's tight. You can. I'm taking that away from you at this current moment. Uh, you can. Send us an email. Everybody wants two, the number two. Get on the list at gmail.com. Send us an email. If it doesn't suck shit, we'll leave it, we'll leave it on the show. <laughs> so, pretty good incentive because it would have to really suck shit <laughs> for us not to read yeah. it on the show. Uh, you can also follow us on social media on Instagram at it's on underscore the list and on Twitter it's on the list pod. We get some funnies going on there sometimes, and we also have um, legit updates about the show on both platforms. So follow for the sillies, uh, stay for the actual legitimate updates about what we're covering on the show, and just updates about the show in general. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Noah Marger. You can follow me on Instagram at Noah Marger. You can uh, listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things. This week, one Jackie Quinn will be on the show. Maybe you what? know her, Rocky. Yep. Talking about, you guessed it, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play by Ann Washburn. No shit. Shout out. That oh, is, wait, um, Mason, you might know that because it's Chicago. Yeah, and it's actually, I think it's it's running again. It is. Theater we Wet, were going actually. to fucking see it, and then... We were road tripping up to Milwaukee. We were going to go see Mr. Burns. And then a family member of Jackie's got COVID. And then we had to change our entire road trip plans from that point on. Fuck, um, I was dude, so that's, sad. Because, I'm so sorry. Because the, the, I read the script for that earlier this year, and I adored it. I think it's wonderful. And so look forward to that episode. Um, that's Yeah, that episode will come out. Uh, those episodes come out on Thursdays okay. day before this episode. So if you haven't heard that episode yet and you're listening to this on the day it comes out, just go follow the show. Just you go just fuck listen. yourself. Just go eat a big pile of Rocky shit that he eats for breakfast. Uh, and yeah, I'm now officially a supporting cast member on everything now, which sucks for them. <laughs> big time. Whoops. And, whoops. <laughs> fucked up big time. Can't reverse that at all. Uh, but I'll be doing that show a couple times a month. Uh, 
in the future and going forward until they actually ask me not to come back, which will probably be in December. So <laughs> do it go. for a month and then not come back. But that's it. That's all I got. Those are the plugs. Mason, plug away. Take us out. Plug away. Take us out. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at HotDogDebicki. You can find my store, my merch store, Mason-MerchGuire.Creator-Spring.com. That is a lot of hyphens and shit. You can also just find that linked in the description of my Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can you could buy shirts. You can buy stickers. You can support me with a little bit of spending money by doing that, and I would appreciate it because I'm getting I am interviewing. I am getting uh, stuff for jobs, but I am not gainfully employed yet. In any case, you don't need to know about that. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd under my name, uh, and you can find my first podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the Shield, on all of your podcast platforms, which I hosted with. Guest of the show, Connor Crockford, for three years, and we covered every single episode of The Shield. So watch The Shield, get into that. Awesome. And when, yeah. And um, aside from that, folks, I guess that is the last of my plugs. So I will close this out by saying what we always do tell someone you love them this week, do something you love this week, and we will see you all next week. Thank you guys. Bye. Oh, I was waving. Bye. They can't see that. A shot in your eyes, too. Outside of a window Being pulled by the changing light I can look directly at it Your face is sorted in the window Swimming out towards my new life Dragged by the undertow I'm Sisyphus, you're the